watch him closely. What's the secret, Max? You just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. I don't wanna be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Welcome to the Establishing Shot, a podcast where we do deep dives into directors and their filmographies. I am here today. I'm Eli Price uh, here with uh, Andrew Fossier for episode 27 of the podcast and um, and almost done with uh, with Nolan uh, talking uh, Tenet today or also Tenet if you say it backwards. If you say the the title backwards, Tenet, um, you can say it either way if you want. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm excited. Uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll play this podcast backwards. Maybe like I'll in post production, I'll like edit it to where it plays completely, or maybe put out two versions. You can listen to it forwards and backwards. Um, but yeah, um, and. Uh, Unfortunately, I've I've put Andrew on his first episode with us through already too many bad jokes. Um, so oh no, they're they're landing for me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, uh, yeah, Andrew, it's great to have you on. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Uh, doing well, man. I'm really looking forward to talking about Nolan and more specifically Tenet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. You're uh, you're in Metairie, Louisiana, just down the road yes. from where I am in Lafayette. Um, used to live here. We uh, used to go to church together and yeah, hang out we've and, known each other yeah. for a bit. We were just talking about that. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. The show. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I work for uh, CGI Federal. I'm a DevOps engineer, um, and so I'm around technology, doing technology things, and I work fully remote. So this feels very familiar, actually. Also, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't normally talk to, to Eli, but yeah, um, we lived here for g- coming up on our first year, full year here. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, sorry. No, we're about approaching our second year here. Yeah. Brain fog. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I always love to ask my first time guests to to share a bit about just kind of their journey into loving film. Um, like where did that, where was the uh, inception of that for you? Mm-hmm. Um, good Nolan term for a <laughs> um, Nolan series. Um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, a lot of people starts with childhood. Sometimes people really get into it in college. What, what was that like for you? Well, I definitely, have always liked movies, mm-hmm. um, enjoyed the medium, but what really got me into loving them and appreciating them more deeply was my wife Hunter. Um, because she loves movies extremely, mm-hmm. um, deeply. And so th- that got me to look at movies for more than just like entertainment value or feeling, you know, yeah. um, paying attention to directors and cinematographers and like, like getting into the you know meat of, the background stuff. And that's yeah. all super important things that I really enjoy knowing now. Um, but she was what incepted that for me actually. Um, but 
as far against back... your will or oh no, no. <laughs> well in your dreams uh well as far as you know anyway yeah well the first just a funny again right a funny movie i guess story if um the first one of the first movies we saw together uh actually i guess it was the first movie we saw together uh, our first date i guess is what I okay say. yeah um we went to see um oh my goodness i can't think of the name right now i'm just panicking um what's it about it's the dressmaker who gets poisoned phantom thread yes <laughs> uh i know the name i'm just uh talking and Man, that was so good phantom that was thread. um what game would that be that we just played? Uh, I feel like that's a board game. Um, uh, like you can't say Charades. the name of it, but you describe it, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah we just killed it with that one. Buzzword so. maybe. Um, yeah. Well, so we went to, we went to see Phantom Threat and I walked in and I asked, Oh, so is this like an action movie? <laughs> Cause I didn't know. I didn't know what it was about. And she remembers thinking, Oh God, this guy is like, just not going to enjoy. And it was, it was new. It was interesting. Uh-huh. I enjoyed it. We talked about it and that was kind of the beginning, you know, that was just mm-hmm. how we started engaging with movies uh, in yeah. a deeper way. And so, yeah, it was a fun movie to see together. Yeah. A very interesting first, like, early date movie to see yeah yeah if, if you know the plot <laughs> i kind of gave stuff away sorry a deeply unsettling relationship uh yes. in that movie <laughs> yeah uh but yeah yeah that's that's awesome though um yeah it's always fun to think about like who got you into movies like who was um just like vital in that in that journey for you um you know, for the, at least for those of us who have had that journey into like loving film or on a deeper level. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've always, I feel like we've, you and me and Hunter, uh, your wife have had a few, at least a few like fun, deeper discussions on movies Mm -hmm. in the past. Um, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was excited, I was excited to, to get you on, um, for the podcast because of that because i know yeah i know you're gonna bring some fun discussion uh but what about nolan what do you remember what your first nolan movie was i do so first nolan movie and then first in theaters as well um okay yeah so first nolan experience i was in high school Mm -hmm. and i don't want to paint speech and debate in a bad light i loved it but the in-class time very frequently if a sub was there or something, we would end up watching movies. Mm -hmm. And so I think I saw the first 30 minutes of elf, like 40 times in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so that's actually the place that I first saw the first 30 minutes of the dark night. And Mm. I had speech in the morning. And so (laughs) walked in, watched the first 30 minutes of the dark night and then had the rest of the day of school. uh, So I got home and finished the movie because I started the movie over because I really Love yeah. the first 30 minutes. That's, oh, yeah. Grab movie you. starts out just right in it and it, really fun. Um, so that's my first Nolan experience was The Dark Knight mm-hmm. after it had been out, obviously, um, on DVD. And my first in theater Nolan experience was The Dark Knight Rises. 
Um, And I actually didn't see Dunkirk in theaters. So Dark Knight Rises, I didn't see Interstellar, I didn't see Dunkirk. So my second in theater experience with Nolan was Tenet. So yeah, (laughs) yeah. Which, uh, which that's a whole nother, a whole nother thing is Tenet being in theaters. Um, you know, I, so that was like for sure the first movie that I saw, like after kind of lockdown pandemic stuff in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. It's one of those things where like, I feel like, it was this weird thing with like, I was so excited to get to theaters to see a movie again. And mm-hmm. so like, I don't know if it's like expectations are so high. And so there's like, when you see a movie, that's not like a masterpiece. It's like, which I don't think Tenet is. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously like, and a lot, obviously a lot of people don't. Um, but uh it's kind of almost feels like a disappointment, but then at the same time, I almost wonder if like, I like it more because it was that first experience and you're just like (laughs) so happy to be watching like a movie and a movie on the scale of Tenet. That's like, yes, this, I need to watch this in a theater. So it's this weird thing where it's like, maybe it's like better than I thought it was on my first viewing, but maybe not, maybe it's worse than I thought it was on my first viewing. I just don't know what to do with it because of that, because <laughs> of that experience. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I can, I can, I can relate to that in a way. I, um, I know one of the things people always reference in, you know, talking about the movie is the audio and mm-hmm. I don't want to go, we don't have to go super far into it, but, just kind of a funny story about it. We saw it. My, my, my wife, my wife and I watch movies multiple times. It's just something we love, we yeah. love to do. And, um, we saw the first, you know, theater viewing. And then we actually were on our honeymoon where there's a Dolby theater. And mm. so we decided, Oh, let's go see it in Dolby. Mm-hmm. And we got to the, uh, boat scene after yeah. his death. And he's talking to his hand, former handler and the S's in his speech were so overpowering. I leaned over <laughs> and I said, Hunter, I think if I'm wincing at these S's, the dubstep high scene is going to kill me. We should, we should probably <laughs> leave. So we, we left it, it disappointing, you know, cause yeah, yeah. Um, it just, it was just the mixing for that in that scenario in that format, did yeah. feel overpowering. Yeah. But yeah. It didn't, bother us the first time it just really was that volume mm. uh, in the in the dolby theater yeah yeah it's uh when you see them in those like hyped up theaters like i i don't know like i've seen movies in imax and it's usually mixed i've never had a bad experience with sound in imax it's like mm. it's loud um but it's like mixed well usually um where it's not like where it doesn't like hurt to listen to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I feel like most of the time here at the theaters in Lafayette, it's like the opposite. It's like, can y'all like turn this, the volume up a little bit? Like, why is the, <laughs> I'm in a theater. Like, why is the movie so quiet? <laughs> um, yeah. 
but I don't know if y'all had that experience when y'all when y'all lived here. But that's it's not always the case. But every once in a while, I'll like go to the theater, like kick back, and I'm like, I feel I should I feel like I shouldn't be wondering if the movie is too quiet when I'm in the theater. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I have it too quiet at home because like there's other people that live in my house and I can't like blare <laughs> the TV all the time. But in a the theater, yeah. like that's, that's where I go to to like hear it like louder. Yeah, be blown away. But also um, like not be in pain. <laughs> like right. Dolby well, Mix yeah. obviously was. We got to be somewhere in the middle. Are, are you a subtitled person or no? I am. I'm a subtitled person. Okay. Um, I was not before I met Hunter and now I am. I can't watch yeah. something without subtitles. Yeah. A funny little caveat, if you rent the theater out and watch a movie that way, you can mm-hmm. choose uh subtitles or no subtitles. So that's fun if you okay, yeah. really want subtitles. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I've never I don't think I've ever seen subtitles like on a big screen. Well, I take that back. I've seen some foreign language films that obviously have mm-hmm. subtitles, but not yeah. like an English language film. Um, but yeah, like like par- I saw Parasite in theaters. That yeah. was a that was a fun experience. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm a subtitle guy. I it's one of those. It's like um, hmm. It's one of those things where I just really like to know what is being said. I guess. And so mm-hmm. the subtitles just like help so much with that. Um, but at the same time, there's sometimes where like, I'll like, I'll like rewind a movie. Like if I'm watching at home, like mm-hmm. I'll turn it back some because I'll realize like, man, that was so dialogue heavy. And I was just like reading the whole time. And like the whole point of watching a movie is taking the visuals. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I need, I need to go back so I can like see it. Um, which, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's one of those kind of like uh, pros and cons in the same thing kind of thing. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, I, I did. Ha- I did really enjoy Tenet when I saw it in theaters. Um and I guess we can we can dive into to that discussion. Um, yeah, ten, uh, Tenet does have like this weird um, background and kind of like history because of when it came out and when it was made. Um, really, like there's there's like a whole like few years of movies really that have like the <laughs> I guess like the pandemic stamp on it of like. Yeah, this movie is weird because of the pandemic <laughs> or, you know, this movie like bombed because of the pandemic or whatever. Um, or like this movie never came out. <laughs> yeah, we've got we've got some of those, too, I guess. Um, but yeah, this one definitely like is one of the ones in the forefront of that just because of. um, I don't know, Nolan being such a you have to have the cinema experience for my movies sort of guy, mm-hmm. um, like, a, um, you know, a very like powerful voice for celluloid film. And like, you have to see it in the theaters and, you know, he's just that sort of filmmaker. And so like, they just kept pushing the release of this back because a lot of movies just went ahead and got released streaming, um, or VOD rather. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and like Nolan just wasn't going to let that happen with, with Tenet. Um, so it's, it, you know, it just has this weird history that I think, um, I don't know. I wonder sometimes if this would have come out just in normal years, <laughs> if it would have, I, w- I just kind of wonder like, what would the reception have been like? Would it, would it have been worse because like more people saw it and didn't like it? Or would it have been like so much better because people were like loving it? It's, it's kind of hard to say because the reception is so split on it. Um, already. Yeah. Um, yeah i and then i know like at the time there was like a few pieces of people like you know critics kind of like guessing that this would become like a cult favorite in the future like once more and more people see it um you know i guess at their in their in their houses on their tvs streaming it or whatever yeah um, i've heard that since which i could kind of see i could see that like eventually down the road maybe being the case um but yeah, it it really the idea for this started um with just like the concept of just that image of film moving backwards which you can, you know, for Nolan it goes it goes first like back to Memento. Um have you seen Memento? I actually have not. Okay. It's on my list so, of things I so need this, to see. So this isn't a spoiler for you, but the whole okay. or it's not a spoiler. Uh, it might, it, it might take away like a, Oh moment for you, but it's like in the uh-huh. very like first, like two minutes. Um, so the whole opening is in reverse. Um, so okay. yeah, it's, so you see stuff happening and it looks kind of weird. And then like you start seeing things where you're like, Oh, this is going in reverse. Um, even to the point where like you see a bullet boom, go back into a gun that's been mm. fired in reverse and so like that image goes all the way back to memento yeah. um which was his first like movie with a real budget um and his second feature um and it goes back to that but then like go back further and it goes back to him like playing with film editing in college um under the the theater at university college of london um, they had this like editing machine and he would play with it and taught himself how to edit, edit film down there. And just like that idea of running film forwards and running it backwards. And, um, and then like you, you go back even further and he tells a story about being, uh, I think he was like 16 and he's staying with, um, a family in Paris and the, the father of this family was working on some sort of documentary and mm-hmm. he was editing it. Um, and Nolan recalls seeing him like run the film through whatever editing machine he was using and seeing like, wow, the film, like the image is crisp and clear, whether you run it forwards or if you run it in reverse, it's just as crisp and clear. It's just moving in the opposite direction. And so he even like, so he traces like this idea of like, I don't know that time that playing with time and film going backwards all the way back to that, like experience when he was like 16 years old. Um, Oh yeah. And uh, which I think is, it's cool to, to see, you know, or to read, I was reading about this um, in a book and just like 
hearing, you know, filmmakers, um, artists in general, really like tracing, like ideas they have for a current thing they've worked on, like all the way back to like, Oh, it's just this idea that I've had in the back of my head since I was 16 of like (laughs) film moving forwards and backwards. Like, um, I don't know. I just think, I just find that fascinating. Um, how those ideas can just like stay in your mind and like bounce around until they like come out into something tangible. Yeah. Um, Well, and especially with, I mean, where, where Nolan is now with the amount of like influence he has in Hollywood, mm -hmm. like say what you, you know, your opinion about tenant be what it is. Right. But it's, it's what he wanted. Like it's, it's really, there's no other power rivaling his vision and i think that mm-hmm. is to me what's so cool about yeah. it especially watching more of the behind the scenes stuff in preparation you know for this podcast it it's really what he wanted and and to mm-hmm. draw like you said to draw that back to the mind of a you know 16 year old seeing the film go back and that that's that's a really cool uh yeah. line to draw oh yeah yeah for sure and then, you know, the, the cons, as far as like the concept of the movie, I think it was, I, I think I read in 2014, um, he started thinking about it as like this, um, like fictional reality of like moving backwards in time, like, or like being able to turn time like backwards and forwards. Um, and that was kind of like, I guess the, the inception for like the story, um, of that ends up being tenant. Um, and he even talks about having like folders full of like notes and drawn diagrams and like the era of time going different ways on graphs that he's, that he's drawn out. Um, and so, and then eventually like with all that, he decided to wrap like this kind of, cause it is a sci-fi kind of concept. Um, and he decided to like wrap it up in a spy movie. Um, and so that's where like it and that's something that I've that I've noticed um, doing the the Wes Anderson series and then going through this series is like oftentimes like a movie is not uh, sometimes it's like one idea that leads to it. But often it's like you have these different ideas uh, uh, as a creator kind of rattling around in your mind and then they kind mm-hmm. of like merge at some point. And that's that's how I imagine this happening. Like he's got this idea of like this sci-fi concept of like being able to turn time back and forth. And he's like, I also really want to do a spy movie. I wonder if I can put those together, <laughs> you know, because um, he loves Bond. And so he's always uh-huh. wanted to um, he's, you know, and you can kind of see that in his other a lot of his other movies too. his kind of love of Bond. Um, but this is definitely his most Bond movie. Um, and so oh, like, yeah, definitely. And then, like, usually there's this kind of, like, imminent danger in a spy movie, obviously. Like, and he just liked the idea of when you merge those two ideas, it's like this weird retroactive danger is what he called it, which I thought Hmm. was, like, an interesting way to phrase kind of the, I don't know, like, the conflict in this movie is retroactive danger. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, and then like he was kind of too imagining like this cold war between the future and the past or present or however you want to put it, um, which it, it does kind of feel like that once you really like get deeper and deeper into the movie, 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the enemy being a Russian kind of helps with that, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah. And then uh, this, I thought this was cool too. The title of the movie uh, Tenet actually, um, you know, hit the, the palindrome off, obviously being like the jumping off point for just like the concept and all that. But the title comes from, there's this, and I don't, I don't remember if I read like where Nolan saw this, um, but obviously he did. Um, there's this like Latin artifact artifact from the ruins of Pompeii um, that has, it's like this square, like stone artifact that has five words kind of in Latin, I guess, written out mm-hmm. um, one on top of the other. And it's a, and it's just one big palindrome. So, and it, and all of the words in it are used in the movie, including the center one, which is the title, Tenet. It's uh, Sator, Arepo, Tenet, Opera, Rotas. And all of those words are like used at different points in the movie, whether yeah. it be like a reference to them being at the opera house or Sator being the name of the villain. Arepo is kind of like this code thing used at some point, I'm pretty sure. It's um, the name of the uh, the broker that that's right, sold yeah. the... Mm-hmm. She sold the fake too. Yeah. I don't remember the, where Rotus was used, um, but it was because the book I read said that it was. Uh, <laughs> is Rotus the name of the Freeport? I don't rem- remember. I-, I remember seeing it in text in the movie, but I don't okay. remember. Well, yeah, I'm glad you did because I, I don't remember. That's the one that where I was like, I don't remember seeing Rotus, but yeah, I'm glad you confirmed confirmation from andrew on rotos <laughs> um but then not, yeah tenant being the the center of that and it's the the title of the movie um which you know it, it's cool because like it's this weird like artifact that they're pulling from and it's the palindrome working with the concept of going back and forth in time and then tenant the word tenant itself being this i this word that's like about um, a belief that drives what you do sort of thing, um, or is a principle that you live by. Um, just all of that, like kind of culminates into like, okay, like this is actually like a cool, like even just like the story behind the title is pretty cool. I I think. Yeah. Um, at the very least interesting, you know? Um, yeah, he, so he, some of the things that, um, Nolan does is he he's really a big believer in bringing on as as much of his crew as possible as early on in the the process as he can. Mm-hmm. Um, so he Nathan Crowley has especially like with the Batman films, they would be like working while he was like still working on the script. Nathan Crowley, his production designer, would be like working with him on the design uh, for things. Um, and so like that was especially the case with the Batman movies because the design is so integral to like how things are written in the script. Um, yeah. And this was a similar movie. Like he brought Crowley on because it's such a visual concept. That's hard to like, like I would, I would love to like, read some of this script to see how he explains what's happening on screen in a script. Um, but that's partly why he brought Nathan Crowley on so early 
just like the Batman films is because like, hey, let's start working on the design because we really need to be able to see this to really wrap yeah. our minds around it. Um, yeah, definitely. To, well, to visualize, that's one of the things that I saw in you know some of the behind the scenes things that I watched about Tenet is mm-hmm. they needed to know who was where and right. where was like what which protagonist was doing what it, it incredibly com I mean as complex as a movie already is knowing yeah. that there's four versions of a character potentially you know right um mm-hmm. yeah it's a yeah. lot of production focus on that oh yeah yeah and uh the so the working title of this was merry go round which feels so very uh <laughs> appropriate <laughs> for uh, for the movie um i love uh i love when you can find like what the working title was cuz sometimes it's like really really interesting or like funny or to me the merry go round working title was funny um just cuz i feel like i've gotten all sometimes like in this you watch this movie and you feel like you've gotten off of a merry-go-round that was going way too fast um <laughs> and uh yeah and like i i also made me think of the image of a merry-go-round like going backwards which i've i feel like i've seen before um either in person or like in a video or movie or something i feel like i've seen a merry-go-round going backwards before um yeah i feel like i have an image of that too but i can't place it yeah it must be a movie um that maybe we've both seen but yeah can't can't recall what it was um yeah (laughs) yeah so and then you know with this movie too like i really feel like inception without inception like i don't know that he would have been able to make this movie which mm. is kind of the case like all through his career it's like he he'll make a movie and like it gets him like the green light for whatever next movie he wants to make and at this point it's just kind of like well i mean you've you did you did you've done all these movies that have been so successful um you just can kind of do whatever you want but at the same time like the concept i think i think the concept is what makes me say inception more than anything else like the success of inception yeah. and it's like really weird out there concept um well yeah it, i mean it, inception it, it, is like sci-fi wrapped into a heist movie and this is basically sci-fi wrapped up in a spy movie so, yeah well yeah. and they're both i mean i think i feel like tenet is more complicated because the concept is yeah inception is very complicated but it is but it's yeah. much more linear i would say mm-hmm. because it's just you dream within a dream within a dream so we're slowing down you know it's not yeah you're slowing down time but you're time. not yeah 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 and yeah the just like wrapping up that sci-fi concept in this like kind of like grand scale um sort of movie uh is is kind of like okay yeah inception you did inception we don't really understand this but we'll we'll give you 200 million dollars anyway uh but uh but yeah as far as influences go um bond obviously we already mentioned bond uh, mm-hmm. I mean, this movie has it has the gadgets, it has the exotic locations, 
it's got the really like speechy baddies um that uh that probably talk too much uh and then like i even wrote down that uh michael kane kind of has m uh vibes if you uh mm-hmm. if you're familiar with the bond franchise the the kind of m is kind of like he's the guy that's giving the the directives and all that and then um uh posey's character uh clements posey's uh i think it's barbara's name of her character um she kind of gives off q vibes which q is always the guy that's like teaching you about all the gadgets and teaching like that sort of thing and the bond movies and so she kind of gives off so there's like all these little things that are kind of like okay yeah this definitely got the bond vibe and then obviously like international spy espionage like it's got all that there now like definitely yeah i will say it's got i feel like the bond influences i don't know maybe we'll get into it more uh later in our discussion but i i can't figure out if the bond influence is more like superficial stuff like that like just kind of homages to it or if the if there's even more influence in the fact that like in a bond you a lot of times in a bond movie it's about like the experience of just like enjoying the experience of watching this guy go around the world and try to like stop a a really like a really obvious villain and Mm -hmm. i almost wonder if like if this movie is kind of trying to mimic that idea of hey this movie isn't very deep but i i i don't think that's the case with this movie because i think it it is trying to struggle with some deeper things um but I, i have heard other people um in podcasts or that i follow uh kind of like pitch that idea that this movie is just like about not thinking about it but just like experiencing it which is yeah. fair because that is a line in the movie. <laughs> that's I was gonna, I was going to say that's a that's a direct quote from the movie. Like, yeah, don't think about it, just feel. Um, when Which he's it, learning about the problem you know, for me, the problem for me with that is like, okay, you're telling us that, but then like you're presenting all these interesting concepts that you obviously think is interesting, and so like, uh, how can we not think about? How can we like not think about these? these concepts and these ideas when you're like throwing them in our face. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the way I interpreted the way I interpreted that was like the mechanics, because that's something that in any sci-fi I, you, there, there is some level of just turn your brain off because my favorite, my favorite to to reference is Ant-Man. How is he, how is he communicating? (laughs) This is not the biggest problem with Ant-Man. In, you know, reality. But, but right. how is he communicating with people over radio if he's smaller than radio waves? Like that doesn't, you know, how is he breathing if he's smaller than ox? You know, but so there, you kind of just have to turn your brain off. And so that for those things. And so I think that's how I interpreted. Mm-hmm. Don't think about it, just feel. And so it's like, okay, this works. Just, just go, go with it. it. Yeah. yeah. Which that's fair. And I think that's one, I think, I think that's a, uh, perfectly fine way to to experience this movie like i really do um and i mm-hmm. feel like i feel like i go back and forth within the movie of how i'm enjoying it and sometimes i am just enjoying watching something like really interesting visually happen on screen and just experiencing it so yeah, yeah. you know 
I totally understand that, that way of experiencing it. Um, and like we, we said, it's, it's right there as a line in the movie. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other influences, um, going through these, uh, these few that I have written down, um, uh, Jean Le Carre, I don't know if I'm saying his last name, right. Um, but he's, um, he's a espionage novelist sort mm. of, um, from, I don't know from what time period I didn't, I didn't write that down. I should have. Um, but his, um, the description I, I read of like his work is it's this like realist fiction, which sounds very Nolan um, already with, and, it, and the, I loved this. It said with a plot lingering out of reach, which totally <laughs> feels like Nolan. So I'm like, okay, I can totally see if that's the description of this guy's novels. I can totally see Nolan like reading this guy's novels and like just taking that sort of atmosphere of realist fiction it's like um another i can't remember what podcast i heard this on but they they were talking about how it's almost like a mix of like um michael mann and his like very like grounded realist sort of movies mixed with like the kubrick kind of like out there concept experience sort of um, movie. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting that I can see like that mix there in Nolan for sure. Um, And Nolan himself is like referenced both of those filmmakers as like big influences on his, his filmmaking. So it makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But this is interesting. He said, Fritz Lang, Nolan, uh, I wrote down this quote. He said, he, Fritz Lang is probably the most important filmmaker to what my idea of film is, which mm. I thought was really interesting. Um, and I have, I want to say I've only seen one Fritz Lang film. Um, I have seen Metropolis, uh, which I think is an incredible masterpiece of a movie. Um, and but that's the only Lang film I've seen. I actually have the Criterion disc of M. I just haven't gotten around to watching it. Um, and I need to rectify that soon. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, Fritz Lang, German filmmaker. Um, he, I think so. He has like, obviously like he, there's an influence because he has a, a 28, 1928 film called spies, which um, kind of like, was at the beginning of or, or maybe even like itself created the espionage genre within film um it, it has like an international spy ring deploying technological threats um and this is like where so this is where fritz lang i think does influence nolan is fritz lang was very into like geometry and architecture in his movies and Nolan, I feel like very much so is interested in like the the shapes and geometry you see on screen and how architecture interplays with that. And then how architecture kind of implies or plays with like the theme of the film. So yeah. I, I'm not sure. So I've only seen one Fritz Lang film, so I'm not sure how that maybe plays out in other Fritz Lang movies but i know in metropolis mm-hmm. we talked about on the dark knight rises episode how like 
Dark Knight Rises really, I, I personally, because I've seen Metropolis, can see the huge influence of architecture and theme from Metropolis to Dark Knight Rises because mm-hmm. they both have this yeah. idea of an underbelly of society being literally down and then people uh-huh. on the upper echelons of society being like up high in high rises. Um, and it's literally like architecture sh- displaying visually the theme that it's working on working within. Um, yeah. That, and that's yeah. Uh, immediately brings to mind. I don't know if you've seen the TV show arcane that, that has a very literal connotation as well. Like mm. the, they live on top and the, you know, Undercity is the gotcha. bad place or the yeah, bad place. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I, I definitely need to see more Fritz Lang movies for sure. Because mainly just because like I watched Metropolis and was like blown away by how good I thought it was. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm like, man, I need to watch more of these, but yeah. Um, oh yeah. And in, in Lang's movie spies, um, the hero is referred to just as a number number 326 hmm. um which also relates to uh, the another potential influence in this 60s british spy series called the prisoner um where the lead for that series is known only as a number um and you know i guess like there's bond influence there too there's there's often bond character i mean bond is you know he's James Bond, but like he's often referred to as 007, Agent 007. Yeah. <laughs> or, and you have M yeah. and Q and stuff. And so um, I guess Nolan took those ideas and went a step further and called his protagonist the protagonist, um, which is which is fun. I guess it's like homage to all those things all at once, just kind of referring to your lead as just the protagonist. Um, yeah. But, well, uh, and it, yeah. it just fits with him. It fits with the idea of the spy genre. Sure, yeah. Because for sure, you're you're, you're remaining, you know, anonymous, and it's yeah. not. You really don't have a, your own identity in a sense. Yeah, you're taking on, you know, all the identities. Which that is one thing. I, I was going to say this earlier. When when the classification of it being a spy movie came, it it, it almost in my mind when i when i first saw this i was like oh it's a time travel movie like because time is being affected Mm -hmm. but it really is a spy movie yeah that has time travel elements in it right it's not it's that sci-fi wrapped up in a spy movie right like intertwined with it but like the basis for everything is for sure a spy movie i think yeah and and not to not to rabbit trail too far on this whole idea, but, but like the, I think the time travel we see in most movies, it's almost comparing it to tenant. It's like a flippant decision. Like, okay, I'm going to this date. Boom. I'm there. You know, mm-hmm. it, I put, I punch it into a computer. I'm there. Whereas with tenant, when they're going back a week in time, they are mm-hmm. living a week in time yeah. and then exiting the time stream there. So yeah. it's very, decided and precise it, it i don't know i guess you could argue punching it to computers more precise but yeah. their decision to travel through time comes with a cost of their waiting to get there it's not an yeah, instantaneous yeah, sure. jump yeah. yeah yeah you even i mean you have like the 
even like the sequence where like he's waiting in that windmill tower or whatever and he's just like well i guess i'll train in here sort of like <laughs> it was it was kind of reminiscent of like uh bruce wayne in the pit in dark knight rises yeah um but yeah and then like too uh on that note um nolan himself insisted that this is not a time time travel movie mm. um which it, it's one of those things where it's like you can say like okay, Nolan, like I get where you're coming from, but you're also like <laughs> playing with time travel, even though if you don't define it. So like he, he insists it's not a time travel movie because you're not making leaps in time. You're just like changing the direction of time. And in his mind, I guess like that's not time travel. You're still experiencing time the same way. You're just going yeah. backwards, backwards, the same speed. Um, and I'm kind of like, yeah, I get that, Nolan, but like that's just how you've decided to define time travel. Um, <laughs> like, I could just as easily say, like, no, it is a time travel movie because you're traveling backwards in time, even if it is not yeah. making a leap in time. You're still traveling backwards in time. Uh, but I do get where he's coming from. It's not he. I guess he's like hesitant to call it that because it's gonna give people a certain idea of what to expect. And he's like, no, it's not a time travel movie because this is what time travel movies always do. And I'm not doing any of those things mm. with this one. So I, I get it. But at the same time, I'm like, well, it does sort of still have time travel. In it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But I, I really, mm. I really like his, I guess, you know, distinction there because mm -hmm. I mean, he does, you know, obviously has uh interstellar, which deals with, not time travel, but it, again, yeah. mm -hmm. in the same in the same idea of like the effect of time, but there's right. no agency on the character's part where mm -hmm. they are in time. It's just the effect of decades going by and, you know, losing time with their family. And so, yeah, I feel like it's not yeah. you could... as much of a time travel movie as Back to the Future or right, Avengers sure. Endgame where they're choosing to go. Yeah you know, fast through time. Yeah. And I'm, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just because we kind of have this idea of, of a subgenre that is called mm. time travel movies. Um, yeah. <laughs> and this definitely doesn't necessarily fit into that idea of a time travel movie, quote unquote, that we have in our head. But yeah, I would even say like interstellar, like technically like, when he's in the Tesseract, he's literally traveling <laughs> through time <laughs> in three-dimensional space. Um, that's yeah. literally what the, the Tesseract is, is this three-dimensional representation of time, and he's moving through it. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it's it wouldn't be really a time travel movie either. But yeah, going back to... Um, the only other thing I had for influences um, was just kind of like the real world research he did, which mm -hmm. did you know that free ports were a thing before you watch this movie? Cause I didn't you know. know. I, I, well, no, I, I don't have any art. Uh, in yeah. Limbo myself, but, <laughs> or a private jet, but <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. I had, I had not heard of that before. Yeah. It's a really, in, it's really like, I mean, I haven't like done any extra research since I've watched it. But like, 
I didn't realize, I probably didn't even realize it was a real thing. Even after I watched it for the first, this is only the second time I watched it was for this podcast. And so, um, I haven't watched it until this past week since I saw it in theaters. And so I had never really thought about like, Oh, are free ports real? I just like you, I guess you kind of assume, I guess I should have wondered that because like Nolan does base so much stuff in reality. Like, Oh, of course he researched this, these free ports and like included it in his movie as a real thing. Um, and then the other like real word, real world research kind of influence was the, the secret like Russian cities. Mm. Um, like those are a real, that's a real thing. Um, and a lot of them did have like, were like tested on radioactive stuff and have like, yeah, it's, a, it's a, like based on a real thing that happened. Um, yeah. And so, but yeah, uh, influences, I really didn't have a ton of influences that I kind of found in my research for this one. Um, some of his movies, I feel like, the list of influences that I find go like on and on. And there probably are more than I found in my research, but those are really the main ones I, I found. Um, uh, but yeah, this movie, um, like we said, $200 million budget, which is yeah. a crazy, crazy budget for this. And um, I know at the time uh, it was, I don't know if it was the most expensive, but it was definitely one of the top most expensive original movies of all time. Um, which makes wow. sense. Um, most of the time, if you have a 200 plus million dollar budget, it's like an IP um, movie, like, like the dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> um, and then I also saw or, or, read somewhere that it was at least at the time that it was made the most expensive movie with, um, a person of color in the lead role. Mm. Um, which is, I think actually pretty cool. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I guess like it would be less cool if John David Washington, like didn't make a lot of money too, which I didn't research that. So maybe it's not cool (laughs) because Mm. maybe they didn't, they jdw a lot but uh but i didn't research that so can't really speak to that um but i did want to throw that caveat in there just in case someone listening was like no it's not cool because they didn't pay the person of color (laughs) enough money and i'm and i would agree with that so (laughs) um yeah but yeah just with that context that i do have i think that is kind of a cool little tidbit at least yeah um a six-month shoot this movie had starting May, 2019. Um, so, um, they, uh, yeah, they, I mean, they shot the movie, um, over six months in 2019. So it's, it's pre like pandemic that they shot this in, which is crazy. Cause when you think about it, like a lot of stuff that happens in this movie, like, I mean, you have people running around in masks and stuff and it feels like, <laughs> you're watching it coming out of a pandemic and it feels very prescient, but it's this weird thing where no one seems to make these movies that like oddly like line up with what's happening in society when they come out. Um, Mm -hmm. Just, I mean the dark Knight rises, they, 
had written the movie, they were shooting it. And it just so happens that like Occupy Wall Street um, was happening like at the same time they were shooting in New York. Um, And it's not like they wrote that idea into the script based on Occupy Wall Street. The script was already written. So they're just they're just filming it at that point. So it's just kind of these like this is weird that this is like feels so prescient but it was written before this happened. Um, but I don't know. Maybe Nolan's been doing, getting some messages from the future. Um, <laughs> future Nolan. Yeah. Future Nolan's sending, uh, sending uh, containers buried in uh, secret cities in Russia in Russia back to, back to the current Nolan. Um, you know, who knows, you know, where else would you come up with this idea from? If not from the truth, uh, <laughs> oh man but yeah uh, the, one of the things that's really cool about this movie and maybe a reason why like it was cool to watch it like coming out of the pandemic is because it's filmed on location in so many different like places all over the world um, so it just feels like it feels really fun to like travel the world in the movie um, similar to like how bond films can feel or mission impossible movies can feel. Um, but yeah, they, they, so like, I mean, obviously they did some soundstage stuff in LA. Um, mm-hmm. I think they started production and ended production in LA. I want to say, um, and, uh, yeah, I think they actually began production with the, the protagonist, like, uh, self fight sequence, um, which is a crazy thing to start with, but, um, yeah, I guess, I guess you've oh. got to start. Well, I, I guess it makes sense too. Cause you kind of like, that's like the center part of the movie and you can kind of work out both ways from there since it is like a palindrome movie. I, I hadn't really thought about that until just now as I was saying that, but I guess that makes sense. Like you're making a movie that goes forward and backward. So like, <laughs> let's start in the center and work out from there. Like, huh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, well, I think one of the things that with the, com- you know, talking about the, the complexity of mm-hmm. the, the type of movie this is with the, it's something I specifically heard Nolan talking about was that they didn't want to just have the fight scene and then play it reversed. Like they didn't just want to have the fight. And then sure. when it's from, you know, the masked protagonist's point of view, right. it just be reverse footage. And Nolan specifically said, because, you know, it's going to be out on like streaming services and people can stop it and fast forward it and watch it. And, yeah. and so they actually um, learned the fight, I, I think, it's four, four different ways, right? Mm-hmm. They learned it forward and then yeah. as themselves right. backwards and... Mm-hmm. I might be jumping the gun on. I don't know if you want to talk about this later, but no, yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They so they they it was four variations. I think is how the the stunt the stunt coordinator George is George Cottle for this, and um, I remember him saying that John David Washington, uh, which I'll probably refer to as JDW from mm-hmm. here on out because that's easier. Uh, he had to learn this fight in four different variations. Um, and um, really it, the reason for that is the way they shot this movie, which we can jump into that. 
Um, yeah. They sh- so they shot this movie um, in like kind of four variations for all this for a lot of the sequences, especially this. Well, I say a lot of them, all the sequences where there are people going in both directions in the time stream, which isn't like, you know, I don't know how much of the movie has people going forward and backward in the time stream, but, um, but it seems like there's just like select sequences that are that way. Um, but yeah, so all of those sequences where there are people going forward and backward in the time stream, they shot those, um, forward and backward it's hard to it's hard to explain so one of the techniques they used was they would shoot they would do a take and they would shoot it with the film running forward through the reels through mm-hmm. the camera and then they they actually had to get imax to work with them to build magazines <laughs> where they could run the film backwards um imax had you couldn't really do that with the imax camera until this movie <laughs> they got it yeah. uh, that that kind of thing specially done so that they could run the film backwards through the um, through the camera. So, which is which is how Nolan did it in Memento um, when he shot that sequence. Um, all of the things he shot in that were um, just by running the film backwards through the camera and shooting right. it that way. And then you play it forwards, and it's like plays out kind of in reverse. Um, yeah. And so they did that. So that was one technique they used was shooting. They would shoot a sequence with the film running forward, and then they would shoot the same sequence with the film running backward through the camera. But also they would shoot it. They would have like the people in the scene, whether it be the actors or the stunt, um, the, the stunt people, they would learn the sequences forward and backwards. They would learn like the choreography of the scene um or their movements through the scene or whatever forwards and backwards and they would like practice making their backward movements look as much as they could like their forward movements too um yeah so then they would like shoot it again like that with you doing your your part backwards uh i think both ways so i think that's where the four variations comes in so like he's or at least for the fight scene, I guess like he has to be, they have to film him. Like they have to film the original him doing it forwards. And then the original him with the film running backwards. And then they have to do it again with him in the mask suit after he's come out of the turnstile yeah. and those two ways too. So I guess that's where the four variations comes from, um, which is yeah. really crazy. I I do want to explaining read- it doesn't, Explaining it really doesn't make sense. Yeah, which I have something that's really fun. You're going to love this. Uh-huh. Um, which, if you watch the special features on the Blu-ray, you probably heard this. But uh, I, I wanted to read this quote. I, I wrote down directly exactly what George Cottle, uh, George Cottle, the stunt coordinator, said. This I was, was going to say, I can't remember the quote, but this will be good. Yeah. 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 Um, so he's, you know, he's in his first meeting with, with Nolan and uh, some other people on the crew. Uh, and they're around a table and Nolan is explaining what he to George Cottle, what he needs him to do as the stunt coordinator. And this is George Cottle speaking. He's he says that Nolan asked him or this is Nolan. This is him 
recalling what Nolan said to him. Mm -hmm. Quote, put a fight together of one guy fighting another moving forward and then play that backwards. Then take the other guy away and have the guy who was who was first attacking watch the video of him doing it backwards. Then have him do the routine perfectly backwards. Then have somebody attack him as he's going backwards. And then flip that film and that's your fight scene. (laughs) (laughs) This is Nolan. This is, well, this is at least like him recalling what Nolan said to him. And he said like, he like, he was like taking notes and it got to that point and he's just kind of like looked up really confused. And he said like everyone around the table just started like laughing <laughs> and no, no one said, I lost you, didn't I? And he's like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, you're going to have to give me more than that. Um, and it is, it's, it's so like, it's confusing. It's, it's very difficult to like understand exactly like what's happening and so one of the things which no one said that the the frustration of that the the way they had to shoot it was really exciting for him Mm. yes is that that idea of like friction and creation like providing like um or just like that challenge like you're challenged he's doing something he's never had to do before and having to think about it and that challenging of yourself as an artist and as a creator pushes you forward in your craft and and helps you to to think about it in new ways and new perspectives and have to like innovate um which is something that really like i love from Nolan films is like it seems like especially like in this back half of his career it seems like every film he puts out there's some sort of like technological innovation in filmmaking that him and his crew come up with to be able to capture the idea that's in his mind. Yeah. Um, with, I mean, in interstellar, the, what they were doing with like actual like physics and uh, visualizations of black holes, which had never really been visualized that, you know, Kip Thorne had said like, that's the best visualization of a black hole he's ever seen. Yeah. He's a, I mean, he's a top, like physicist in gravity and black holes. So, I mean, in Dunkirk, they're like creating rig. We talked about that in the last episode. They're like literally creating these rigs to put on boats so that they can have an IMAX camera in this rig (laughs) right alongside another boat from the boat that the rig is on. And it looks crisp and clean and smooth because it's like on this like gyroscope that's keeping the camera steady. Like they, literally made that for that movie and like here again like they're getting IMAX to come up with new camera magazines so that they can run the film backwards and like they're just it's just like I'm I really like appreciate that challenge that he gives to himself like I this is the idea I have in my head of what it's going to look like let's like innovate so that we can make it happen and like yeah and then like Hoyte van Hoytema, his his uh, cinematographer has talked about how like he's loved working with Nolan and especially like working with IMAX because um, it's pushing him and his craft and helping 
he feels like he's paving the way for more people to be able to shoot an IMAX just because they're doing things with IMAX that had never been done before. And yeah. that is totally doable. And so they're kind of like, let's just do these things that are totally doable with IMAX, like me lugging around this 50 pound camera, uh, getting handheld shots with it. And like, so that people can see, oh, I actually can do, <laughs> do these things with IMAX or do this thing with film, you know, yeah. um, which I really appreciate. I, I love that him and his crew are like innovating within the film. Like they're not just like putting out blockbuster movies, but they're like paving the way with like, I don't know, being creating these technologies to, so that other people coming up behind them will be able to utilize them. Um, so I just think that's cool. No. Yeah. Well, it's very, it's very cool. And the thing that we kind of talked about, we kind of talked about this earlier about like, you know, how big Nolan is about the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, just justifying that really with his love of IMAX, because it's not, I'm not going to explain it effectively, um, over audio, but, but just the, the amount of film, physical size difference that IMAX is being mm-hmm. that much more information it can capture from the camera. It it's a higher detail than typical film. And it's it just his his words are it puts you in the story or it it yeah you know centers you in the story. And then to take that idea of okay well I want to use IMAX. How do I get an IMAX camera in a Spitfire? <laughs> you know, like right. how do I you know, get those, uh, <laughs> those shots, which I actually, uh, didn't know the length of, um, that they went to for, for Dunkirk with the, yeah. with the plane filming. I just didn't mm-hmm. think about it when I saw Top Gun, cause I don't want to rabbit trail on that too far. I could talk about that yeah. all day, but the <laughs> in, incredible mm-hmm. cinematography getting, getting, you know, up in an F-16, but yeah. Yeah. And I know the Dunkirk yeah. episode isn't out as we're recording this quite yet, but you okay. know, when that episode comes out, um, we talk about like, I think I even said in the episode, like everyone's freaking out about like what Top Gun Maverick did. And I'm like, Nolan did it first. Like Nolan yeah. was mounting these cameras on and and they didn't even Top Gun Maverick didn't even use. Um, I mean, these are IMAX film cameras right. that they're mounting on these planes. Uh, Top Gun Maverick uh, is digital. It's um, they used like a Sony Venice. Right. Uh, which is a, which is a, it's, it's like an IMAX certified camera, but it's a digital camera. It's not this huge IMAX film camera. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, well, Nolan did it first. And like, like maybe he didn't actually have like, uh, Tom Hardy flying the plane like Tom Cruise (laughs) is, but like, it's just, that's just because he didn't have Tom Cruise who was like, I'm going to fly the plane. Right. What there's only like, one Tom Cruise that's actually going to get up there and fly the plane. And... Well, the stunts, <laughs> yes, the stunts that Tom Cruise is pulling off, mm-hmm. no stunt coordinator would allow a stunt person to do. It only right. exists because, you, because, because because he is a producer and he could say, <laughs> "I'm going to jump off this mountain." Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's there's that funny. Franchise. There's that funny story um, of I think I can't remember who tells it, but I've seen a clip of it where he's talking about like asking Tom Cruise about like 
um, how it is like doing stunts or whatever. And Tom Cruise starts on the story of how like he was telling his stunt guy or safety guy or whatever. I think it was a safety guy. Like, Hey, there's, here's what I'm planning on doing. And the guy was like, Hey, we, we can't do that. You know? And so Tom was like, okay. And then, you know, I got a new safety guy and, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, I just, I think that's a hilarious story, but, uh, um, dude's like literally like firing a safety guy if he doesn't let him do what he wants to do. <laughs> well, um, but yeah, but yeah. So one of the, you know, get going full circle back to this, the way they sh- had to shoot this early. You know, we talked about Nathan Crowley come came on early. Mm-hmm. Um, they they worked a lot on on the design and how they things were going to look. They even kind of like flew around and scouted locations, um, him and Nathan Crowley. Um, but then like they also hired on, uh, this previs technician, which previs is just short for pre visual pre visualization. Um, that is a harder word than I thought when I first started <laughs> to say it. Uh, but yeah, this previs tech, uh, uh, they hired on to kind of create these 3d like, computer generated uh visuals of sequences that they were planning on filming and so it was kind of like this um i guess in between from the script to the actual like shooting um that they would do so like if there was a sequence where you know like say like the sequence of them uh going in and out of like the turnstiles like so they would like do a 3D visualization of that sequence um, because really like if they were to have just started trying to film what was on the script, it would be like, okay, where do you even start? But then, but putting it into this program and like computer generating it, you kind of have like a visual to, to go off of, which you yeah. just, they just had to have, they couldn't, it was one of those things where it's like, even I remember Hoyte van Hoytema in, I think in one of the the special features um, things saying like he remembers reading the script and being like, okay, how are we going to do this? <laughs> like uh, he was like, I don't know how we're going to capture this. I you know I hope no one has a plan or whatever, uh, which he knew he did. But yeah, yeah, it, it's or- just the, and then they they had to check so the those those previous things came in handy because they could shoot and then they could check it against it to make sure, because really like you're trying to keep like this multidimensional continuity going because you have yeah. like, people going forwards and backwards and like, you've got to make sure like the continuity matches up. So you really like have to have like a visual foundation to like line that up with. Um, yeah. Well, it definitely. And I think also I heard them talk about like the, for the, for the editing after the fact, like the amount of continuity checks mm-hmm. that they did. And just to, to give an example of something that it's like, I noticed when I saw, don't judge me, <laughs> the Meg too, <laughs> like that's, Meg that's two. The, the simplest shot of like the end of the movie is he gets, he makes three harpoons because there's three things he has to kill and yeah. he puts three things on his back and I'm not even really paying attention to it. And I notice, okay, he just killed one of them. Why does he only have one spear in his back in this shot? Because the, the editing just 
missed. And it's like, is it really important in that movie? I don't yes, know. But this is. is a Nolan film and the amount of the amount of attention to detail is there and you don't get those kinds of little I mean, honestly, the the attention to detail is called out a lot of times in yeah, the film sure. because mm-hmm. they'll be like, Why are you bleeding? you know, when he's about to get stabbed in the fight scene or the right um window is the side of the mirror is cracked because it's about to get hit by the oncoming car that's yeah reversed so mm-hmm. yeah it's very thorough with those yeah. kinds of things and there's not yeah, i remember little... seeing i remember seeing the um the busted side mirror like when they're first starting that scene and being like oh i bet that's like something that's that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna happen going the other way um but yeah yeah like even so like going off of what you're talking about with the editing um i get we can kind of talk about how really like this is an interesting movie in nolan's career because he's kind of uh, partly like just by the nature of like people working on other things but he's kind of like shifting gears in his collaborations um so like for forever lee smith was his editor and Mm. um I don't remember if I don't remember why, but Lee Smith was doing something else or like not available. And so he, um, he had to find an, an editor to work with. And he found Jennifer Lame who, um, she had worked on a decent amount of stuff. Um, I want to say, uh, let me just, let me just pull it up. I know what he uh, what he had seen that really like drew him to her as an editor was Manchester by the Sea, uh, which I'm not sure if you've seen that, but um, I have not yet. Um, it does a lot with like, especially like in the editing, uh, dealing with like memory, I guess, and like the effect that memory has on you in the present sort of thing. Um, and a lot of that, I guess, no one saw coming through in the editing. And, um, so he, you know, he was drawn to her, but she's done, she's done a lot of, um, uh, a lot of, uh, bomb back stuff like, uh, Francis Ha, uh, marriage story, uh, some of his other stuff too, while we were young. Um, and then she edited hereditary, uh, her other one that wasn't Bombac was before this was Hereditary, um, which, um, yeah, that, I mean, that's a very interesting career. To, yeah. Cause a lot, of, well, so a lot of her stuff is like more like m- more mellow, smaller scale drama. Um, cause that's what a lot of Bombac films are. Right. Um, and then like Manchester by the sea is, is very similar. It's, it's a, smaller scale like drama um and then hereditary is an interesting jump um <laughs> yeah uh and then after that uh tenant and so it's kind of like um you know and then she he kept her on and she did oppenheimer too uh mm. but yeah she it it's just interesting because like he he was looking for a new perspective and he went with someone who's up to this point other than hereditary, which I guess you could say in a sense, hereditary uh, is smaller scale. It's a different genre, but it's still like the same, a similar scale 
because like in a horror movie, you're kind of playing with drama um, elements um, Mm -hmm. and the way you're building characters and whatnot. Um, And so, yeah, it's just interesting. He, he's like looking for a new perspective and he goes after this person that really is only done like small scale dramas to do this, like big epic international espionage spy action movie. (laughs) Which, Yeah. In the behind the scenes thing, Nolan was talking about like the, um, I guess the distinction, which I'll admit when, when I hear editing, I think, I think of my experience with editing which is literally just the technical act of cutting mm-hmm. a clip, cutting a clip, finding right, where they yeah. go together. And I don't really think about the um, artistic vision side of it because yes. it's not something that, you know, in my experience with anything with editing, it's been very straightforward stuff. It's not, yeah. I'm not telling a story um, like, you know, of course an editor for a movie like this is. And so mm-hmm. her, vision um for what's going on and how to even even having all the shots and then putting them together the way they end up in a movie it's yeah it's a very much deeper process i guess than you think when you hear editing yeah and you know yeah it's about it and i yeah i I remember seeing the same the same thing you're talking about of nolan talking about that and um i remember along those same lines he he was saying something to the effect of like I don't know that he said like the the technical aspect isn't as important as, but he said something along those lines. Like, yeah. or, but like the storytelling aspect of editing is what's most important to him, um, anyway. Uh, and I guess like you could you could say like the test the technical aspect of editing really is just like a servant of the storytelling aspect. Um, yeah, which uh, That's a good which way to yeah. Say you, yeah, you most people probably do think just about the technical part of editing, but um, but it's like like I even saw a clip recently of an interview with Martin Scorsese, and he was talking about how like he's always thinking about editing as he's like shooting a movie um, because he's thinking mm-hmm. about like how these images are going to be put together to tell the story and to convey the themes and to convey the ideas that he's trying to get across. And so like, as he's shooting, he's always thinking about how this is going to be edited together to tell the story that he's trying to tell. Um, and, you know, convey the ideas he's trying to convey, which that's, that's all done. Like, yeah, it's all captured in camera and it's all there, but it's not a reality until it's edited um, until it's like yeah. put together and lined up, um, just so, and editing can, can ruin a movie too. Um, thinking about this movie, like this movie is, I will say it's, it can be pretty confusing, but I would say at the same time, like you can, if you just kind of like watch it, um, and don't like, like we were talking about earlier, don't like really try to think too deeply. Like it's pretty like comprehensible. I would say mm-hmm. I, I felt like when it was coming out, it kind of had this bad rap of being an incomprehensible movie. And I remember knowing that going in when I saw it for the first time and coming out thinking, no, I'm, I think I get the general gist of what 
what happened in this movie. I don't know why people are so like caught up on the sound design and saying they can't understand because they can't hear anything. And I'm like, even, I mean, I agree that there was a lot of dialogue that I couldn't hear, but I still like, even with that was able to grasp like the concept of what's happening and follow the, the plot line pretty well. Um, which I think says a lot about the editing because this movie could, with bad editing could so easily just be a total mess. (laughs) Definitely. Um, And I bring, bringing up the sound reminded me, I wanted to, I wanted to say this earlier, um, but I think it's really telling when, because one of the first things that I remember hearing was, is this intentional? Is this a mistake? You Mm -hmm. know, and that that's very easily spelled now, you know, hearing, you know, Nolan talk about it and stuff after the fact. But um, the first thing we hear the protagonists say, and it's only the third line of dialogue in the movie after wake up the Americans, somebody grunts, and then this is the third line. The protagonist says, we live in a twilight world. Mm -hmm. And the guy he's saying it to doesn't respond. So he repeats it. And I don't know interpreting it. (laughs) Is that because he didn't hear him? But it's like, yeah, he's got the mask on and he's talking like this and the guys yeah. just saw him shoot someone. And so that's yeah. part of the point is it's not always crisp, clean, perfect audio. And I don't know, kind of get into the uh, opinion of, was it a good decision or bad? And I like the movie. And I think that was a good, I, I feel like it was, I trust Nolan. I like the decision, Yeah, but it definitely was not a mistake. And yeah. that's pretty apparent three lines into the movie that it's right, going to be, right harder to to follow than yeah some movies yeah and and like i said like i just think that all of that even more so just like amplifies how well this is like put together in editing and um but yeah I, the sound thing is this weird thing for me where i'm like yeah like i understand some of the, like the intention behind it but also like as a viewer of the movie Um, because like first and foremost like that's that's what I am like as a viewer of the movie I'm like I personally like to be able to hear what people are saying and so like Mm. for me the viewing experience can be a bit frustrating when I can't hear what people are saying so like it's this weird like conflict like inside of myself where I'm like okay I I trust, I want to trust the decision here. Um, and I want to trust that there's like an intention or a point or, um, you know, something like that going on. But at the same time, like, I'm also kind of frustrated cause I can't like, especially like the yeah. one that I remember most not being able to hear there are two, there's two sections that in my memory, I recall like not being able to heal hear well when I watched it for the first time in theaters. Um, and those are when they're on the catamarans out in the ocean, mm. like, couldn't really understand anything that was said out there. Um, and so there's that. And then when they're in the cavern at the end, even, and like they're speaking through the walkie talkie. And so like the sound is terrible. <laughs> and like, I, yeah. felt, I was frustrated because I was like, I want to hear what they're saying and I just can't understand it. And so it's mm. kind of like, yeah, I get the intention, but at the same time, like 
maybe there is something to uh, the system of like your production company giving you notes of like, hey, like uh, we can't hear, you know, this part of the movie, you know, you need to fix that before we release it. And sometimes like when you have a guy like Nolan that just like has full creative control and a huge budget and it's just like, do whatever you want to do and we're not going to question it. There's a degree to which it's like, okay, like, but like your audience is a little frustrated because we can't hear what's happening. And uh, for me, what was seemed like it was a crucial moment to be able to hear what was happening, mm-hmm. like in the cavern when they're like, that's literally like the climax of them saving the world. And I, I don't know what's being said. Um, yeah. So it's like, yeah, for sure. There's probably some intention there and some decisions that were made with creative intent, but also like it is still something that like is made for the viewer to experience. And when that experience is frustrating, it can be it can kind of take you out of the experience that you're wanting people to have. So, yeah, that's my like sound design rant <laughs> on Nolan <laughs> yeah. for this movie. And it's a, it is like, it honestly is something that like makes this movie not quite as good as it, as it maybe could have been for mm-hmm. me, especially that first viewing, that first viewing, the second one, like obviously I had subtitles on, like we talked about earlier. So like, I yeah. didn't, I didn't miss any of the dialogue, but like, but yeah, I mean, when you, when you make a movie and like, you can't hear dialogue that feels as a view. Maybe it's not in actuality crucial for you to hear what's being said, but as a viewer, there's these moments where it feels crucial. Like it feels like it should be crucial. So it feels like mm-hmm. I should hear it. And I can't, it's like, ah, like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, I guess like I'll step off my sound. Like that, <laughs> that is honestly like when I first saw it, I, I I remember I went back and watched my or read watched I read the review I had written um on Letterboxd mm-hmm. and I was kind of like defending Nolan in that but it was kind of based on what I said what I was saying about the editing um I didn't mention the editing there um but I was just kind of talking about how like yeah maybe the sound isn't great but I still understood what was happening for the most part. And so I don't, I didn't, I was kind of like challenging the, all of the like, Oh, it's confusing because you can't hear anything idea that Mm -hmm. was being spouted. I don't think that's the case, but I do think it's the case that you can get frustrated as a viewer when you feel like you should be hearing something and you can't. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the editing too. Like, I will say this too about the the sound design. Like a lot of that work, like a lot of times, like the sound mixing and stuff is some of the last stuff that gets gets finalized in post production. And so, by the time they're like doing the sound mixing, it's in lockdown. It's it's twenty twenty. Mm. They're in lockdown. Yeah they're um he's got a much smaller crew than he normally does um like it's like pretty significantly smaller for for all of that work um and then at the same 
on top of that, it's in lockdown. They're having to do social distancing. Um, and so it, there's a degree to which I wonder like if that factors into why the sound mixing wasn't so great is like just the, and, and that's why I like, that's another reason I want to give it the benefit of the doubt is like, yeah, maybe Nolan in his press was like defending it because like, yeah, it's your movie. You like, you've got to defend it. But like maybe at the end of the day too, like he, he knows like, well, <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's not great, but like under the circumstances, like we did the best we could, maybe sort of thing. Um, I don't know. Benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt given. Um, um, But yeah, another new collaborator he had was Lugwood Gordonson doing the score. Um, I liked, I liked, uh, I guess I first became aware of his work on Black Panther. mm -hmm, Yeah. Was when I first like, connected who he was but yeah yes excellent excellent score here yeah yeah he had worked so he had worked on uh black panther but he had worked on um uh cre the first two creeds also okay um he did the the score for those um and venom which i've i, I haven't seen venom and i don't have oh. i don't necessarily have plans to see venom Mm-hmm. Um, but so I don't know anything <laughs> about the score in that, but yeah, the score in Black Panther is fantastic. I I love the score for yeah. Black Panther. Um, very very good as well. So yeah, but yeah, definitely like he's. It's definitely like another kind of change for Nolan in a sense. Um, there's a there's a sense in which like this Gordonson score is like it's like similar and different to like the Zimmer scores before it's similar in the sense that it's very like propulsive and like in your face. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's that in a different way. Like it's, he's utilizing different sort of like, uh, music making than, than Zimmer usually was. Um, but like, it's very like drum and synth heavy electronic music for the most part. And then, yeah. you know, you have some guitar, you have some electric guitar that kind of feels like a homage to like uh bond, like the bond theme. Um, uh, but yeah, it, even this score, like how I, I think it's really good and like it fits the propulsiveness of the movie. Like it's, it's very like punchy and like in your face, but like, so is like the action of the movie. Um, so I think it's, I think it's a good score. It's not like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's like, oh, this is like top notch. Like Interstellar is one of my favorite scores just like ever. I love the Interstellar score. And it's like nowhere near that level, but it's good. And it works with the movie, I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And, and I mean, it is also like the product of lockdown. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, they, ha- I think I want to say they recorded everything like everyone separately like the whole orchestra everyone was recorded separately because they couldn't like they couldn't get a whole orchestra together to record it was lockdown Hmm. like um it's like not okay to do that for them so um yeah uh i did write down to uh one of the interesting things about the score 
um, was like he was using these distorted sounds. The most notable one is um, for Sator's theme. Uh, he had like recorded Christopher Nolan breathing into a microphone and like distorted Ooh. it. <laughs> wow. It's like, it's like, okay. It's, it, there always seems to be like some weird Nolan theme working uh-huh. to like in Dunkirk. You ha- it's one of his like stopwatches that's the ticking in Dunkirk. Mm. Um, and then like, and now in this one, you've got like, <laughs> like I need to go back and listen to Sator's theme to see if I can hear what sound is supposed to be like Nolan's breathing distorted. But I can just imagine like, Nolan going into the studio and being like, what do you need me to do? Just breathe into this mic? Okay. <laughs> like, uh, like, I wonder if it was like exaggerated breathing or is he just like, like, does, is Nolan a loud breather? Like, how are you? What, yeah. What do you tell him to do? <laughs> hey, can you Maybe breathe he's... into the mic, please? <laughs> well, I I mean, I have a I have a deviated septum, so I breathe pretty loud sometimes. But yeah, yeah. Other than most people breathing, it's not very loud. So I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested, too. Now we need to see if there's more information on this. Uh... Yeah, I just thought that was funny. The other cool thing about the music, this is the first, like, you know, it ends in the credits with the uh, Travis Scott song, The Plan. Um, mm. And it's the first, like, time no one's used hip hop in his movie, but it's also the first time he's done, like, a single, like, um, you know, a music single, like, released, you know, in tandem with his movie. Like, he's never oh. done that before. Um, yeah. And so this huh. is interesting. I was kind of wondering if that too also was homage to Bond movies, which every Bond movie kind of has its own single that's released with it. Yeah, um, that's true. And so I didn't read that anywhere. Um, I I didn't get through very much of the chapter on Tenet in the Nolan variations. So maybe they they might talk about it in there because it's the most detailed resource I have. Um, but yeah as i was thinking about it i was like i wonder if that's like kind of homage to to a bond movie um but in reverse instead of it being in the title Mm -hmm. sequence of course it's at the end which another thing with that too is um a lot of nolan movies have the title card come in at the very end of the movie um Mm -hmm. i know all the batman movies are like that um with intention but it feels yeah. like a lot it feels like a lot of his movies are like that um and this in Tenet, it's towards the beginning it's like after that opening sequence you get the it's, title card it's, yeah it's right yeah it, it is well cuz that is that is true with with like the way they come in at the end um not to go talk about it too much but i actually there was for batman day in uh this mm-hmm. year i was able to see the dark knight in theaters yeah. for the first time and man, the <laughs> Gordon's monologue at the end, the Dark Knight, the music swells, and then it's just the Dark Knight. It's like, oh, yeah, such yeah. a good, such a good rap. Oh but yeah, yeah, they're always at the end. It doesn't come in and say you're watching the Dark Knight by Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan, and then start it just straight into the action. Right. Yeah, and it it is that way here as far as straight into the action. But it is. I was wondering, like, yeah. I saw the title card pop up, and I was like. Oh yeah, I know Nolan likes to put his title card at the end. I wonder if this is like some sort of like, ooh, it's reversed now, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of thing going on. But yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I did. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about like some of the how they did it sort of stuff, like the 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 production design and the special effects. Um, This movie, surprisingly, only has 200 or at least like this might be an approximation. I I can't remember the source for this, but um, only 280 special effects shots, which is really impressive because this movie seems like it should have tons of special effects shots. Only 280 is like, is wild that it, that's all it has. Hmm. Um, But, uh, but yeah, a lot of that is, you know, a lot of that has to do with just like the way Nolan uh, shoots things. Um, He tries to capture as much as he can in camera. Um, Yeah. Uh, and like he does that here, like we, we talked about, like they are running film backwards and forwards, um, through the camera, uh, so that they're not having to do CGI work in post. Like they're like literally capturing it that way. Um, and you know, in, in camera where you're not having mm-hmm. to do some sort of special effects. I think that was um, one of the first like bits of information that I, learned about nolan i actually don't remember the context i I think it was in relation to uh inception Mm -hmm. the amount of like reality like the one thing everyone talked about is like the train it's a real i real train built on top of an you know 18 wheeler and they really Uh plowed cars you know they didn't cg in a train yeah um yeah, it's like what, a like it's a, like, like a, a lot of movies. Would have. They literally like built a moving set of a train, basically, <laughs> on the eighteen. Yeah, but yeah, even Inception. Uh, I pulled up this. Um, it's a Reddit graphic that I found. So, like, take this with what you will. I'm, I, I would bet that these are pretty close because it has the two hundred eighty tenant thing that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. But like, Inception has five hundred uh, VFX wow. shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dunkirk even has more 429. Um, the only, the only one with less is Oppenheimer with 200. Um, Mm. so the most are as a tie for dark Knight and interstellar at 700. Um, which makes sense, uh, especially for interstellar. Um, but yeah, and I, I will say too, like a lot of people, they might hear like VFX or SFX or whatever, and they might think, their mind might immediately go to see like computer generated. And that's not what VFX means. It just means like, like, so for instance, when the, when the opera house blows up, like that's a VFX shot They're they're creating the illusion of an explosion. Um, It's a visual effect. Like it's, um, and so, you know, that's, that's what a VFX shot is. So it's not, or like a lot. So for instance, in the final, in the final battle scene, the building that blows up, well, that's a miniature. Mm-hmm. It's a one third scale building that they've built, um, that they're using to capture the footage of the building exploding and then like rebuilding and then, ex- ex- yeah. you know, exploding again. That's not, that's a via, that's a visual effects shot because, it's not, they're not just like filming a building explode. They've built like this miniature of it to capture like the, the effect visually of a full scale yeah. building exploding. 
Um, and so like, uh, yeah, I just wanted to make that clarification because I feel like a lot of people, when they hear VFX, they, their mind immediately goes to CGI and like, yeah, like full green screen, not, not the environment. Yeah. Not the same thing. <laughs> um, yeah. and I don't, I don't think they did any sort of green screen scuff with Tenet. Mm. Um, like the, some of his movies they do like, there's there's parts of like the dark night and stuff where they had to use some green screen um but yeah there i don't i don't remember seeing anything in the special features with green screen in there when i was watching through the tenant stuff yeah um, well there there were some surprising things like um the his first i guess interaction with um i can't think of the character's name the scientist who's explaining how you know reverse entropy works to him Mm -hmm. and when he's like the shot of him standing uh in front of the file cabinets that's actually like a forced perspective painting behind it is yeah it's not Mm -hmm. a full that's that's incredible it's you know it's not a they had someone come in and paint that yeah freehand apparently as well Uh uh-huh incredible yeah so yeah yeah i saw that and even after they told me that it was like painted in to make it look like that. I was like, yeah, it still looks like it to me. Even though I know. It still looks. Yeah. Which um, I was aware of, you know, some of the earlier star Wars movies doing stuff like that as well. But yeah. I didn't realize that was something that, um, movies would do. Maybe that's just a Nolan special. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, a lot of movies do. I mean, all movies have those sorts of things going on it's becoming more and more common to do it in post-production instead of pre-production. That's the difference. Yeah. Okay. Um, adding it in computer generated. Um, right. A lot of movies that would have just been a green screen. And right. That's a wrap. Yeah. 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 And that's kind of like one of the Nolan, uh, I guess like, uh, uh, I, my mind is like lost the word. I guess like something that Nolan does that, you know, he's kind of like become known for is um, just, and it's something that like has come up again and again doing this series is Mm -hmm. just this idea of like, well, instead of putting in all this work in post-production, why don't we just put in that switch it up and put that work in, in pre-production where you can actually like capture stuff on camera instead of like, you know, that's, and it's something that like you hear, well, like when you hear actors, whether it's in like the special features on the, the Blu-ray or in interviews, you know, on red carpets or whatever, um, something that you hear actors in Nolan movies talk about is how, like how much they appreciate having actual tangible things to spaces to work in, um, as actors is so helpful yeah. for them to be able to like fill them like even an in interstellar. So like, obviously like they've got these computer generated images of black holes and wormholes. Like they didn't film a wormhole. It's there's not, <laughs> there's no wormholes out there to film. Um, and so there are these computer generated images, but they're projecting them. So like they're in this sound stage and they're sitting in the little spaceship set that they've built. Um, and through the window, they're literally looking at a projection of that wormhole and that's captured in camera, um, as they're looking at it. So like, even like, 
even when he is like doing a lot of CG work because of the necessity of I can't film a wormhole, like he's still giving it, putting it in the space literally with a projection so that it can be like acted off of like, um, like Anne Hathaway had talked about, like, yeah, when we, when you're seeing our reaction on screen to seeing the wormhole for the first time, like we literally are seeing the wormhole for the first time. And it's a, like kind of a genuine reaction of like, Whoa, um, hmm. on our faces. Um, and you kind of hear similar stuff like, you know, John David Washington and like Robert Pattinson and, you know, these interviews kind of just talking about like, yeah, it was crazy to be on set and like, we're actually like crashing a real plane into a warehouse. <laughs> like they were just talking about like acting off of that is like an incredible experience and like so helpful for me yeah. as an actor. Um I just think that's really cool. Um, yeah, th- that, yeah same. that that sequence. I mean, it's a decommissioned seven, literally a seven forty seven. Like they could have gotten smaller planes and made it, you know, forced perspective to look bigger. But no, they literally got a humongous seven forty seven. Um, and it's kind of that that sequence is kind of comical. Like you're watching it, and it's it's like going so <laughs> it's going so slow which is kind of funny, but at this, but like, it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, I guess it would be going that slow in real life. And like, who's going to stop it? Like it's a, right. it's a 747. It's not like just cause it's going slow, you can stop it. And then the gold's like dumping out of the back, which is kind of <laughs> funny too. And it's in a way like there's a little, like little things in this movie that like, I have to wonder if like, no one thought it was funny too, because I'm, <laughs> I'm like watching this gold like get thrown out of the back of a 747, and I'm like, this is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it it's incredible. I mean, they crashed a 747. They did it at a working airport too. Um, like, yeah, that surprised me. Yeah. I thought they would have. I thought they would have like interlaced shots of the 747 and then like moved it or to an off, you know, right. campus or something. But yeah, right, no, right. I saw that. Yeah. That, I mean, <laughs> that's, Can you imagine like, if someone didn't get the, the memo that yeah. they're shooting a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just like only Nolan, only Nolan could get, get clearance to crash a 747 on a, in a working airport like site. <laughs> Yeah, that's truly amazing. Oh, man. Um, yeah, it, I mean, this movie had, I mean, other stuff that's incredible is um, like just the visual of that wind farm. Um, that's that those that's a real location in the world. There's mm-hmm. a, this wind farm off the coast of Denmark um, that you're not that's not CG that you're really looking at a wind farm in the ocean off the coast of Denmark. Um, They actually shot at the location some for um, Dunkirk and they took the windmills out in post. Um, And no one remembered it. And he was like, I want to go back there and shoot. (laughs) So he did. (laughs) Because why not? Uh, I have a $200 million budget. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. And I, I feel like, uh, I mean, of course, this applies to other movies, too, but the VFX shots 
in the films like i know uh inception it was just removing rigging on like right. well, one of the shots right of the the staircase you know yeah. um, that's a lot of the the batman ones too yeah it's, it's just removing things that are for safety right. and yeah 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 for sure um yeah i mean other cool uh visuals i had written down like um i mean you have this sh- the icebreaker ship that's at the wind farm is like really cool looking the that's that black yeah. and yellow one really cool looking the yacht it's called the planet nine that they used is actually like a world traveler yacht um mm. which i you know that's a whole world that i have no idea about so they're like oh yeah it's a world yeah. traveler yacht I'm like okay i don't know anything <laughs> about yachts i guess there's yachts that are like i'm gonna hang out right here and there's yachts that can kind of travel the world i guess i don't know um but yeah one thing i did think was funny about the yacht was like i mean it's like a legit expensive yacht that they borrowed Mm -hmm. for for this production and um like the inside is so like delicate and everything's so expensive nolan um i remember he the he said literally it's like shooting in a China shop. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. They like, I think I saw in the special features, they like added all this like padding and tape and stuff to make sure they weren't like going to mess something up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some, the boom, like scratches the, yeah. Right. Irreplaceable wallpaper or something. Mm. Even the catamarans. I mean, they did a lot. There's a surprising amount of like ocean work done in this movie. But the catamarans yep. they bought in brought in this like it's called Cell GP. It's like this um, team of professional like um, sailing racers. Uh, mm-hmm. Like those 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 sailing catamaran things that they were on, like are literally only built to be able to go to do that, like go fast on the ocean. Like you can't just like float around in them. <laughs> They're literally oh, wow. just built to just go fast, and they go like over fifty miles per hour um wow yeah that's yeah that's insane i don't understand yeah so they like i I mean i heard that they're like the f f1 for sailing f1 formula Mm -hmm. cars for sailing yeah yeah it's really cool like the i'm sure like the the physics of it is really interesting too of how that like that works like they literally like lift up there it's like they're flying almost um yeah but uh but yeah it's it's interesting like (laughs) the they had a guy that's from that team like interviewed on one of the special features and like he was just saying like they're like wanted to throw a guy out of one of the boats and we were like no you can't do that like they didn't <laughs> they didn't want to let them throw people out of the boats like no one's like yeah we're going to <laughs> we're gonna figure out a way to do it Ooh. um but yeah and then there were some of this those sequences too where they they like those boats kind of like come apart. So they like took part of the boat because they, like I said, they, they, they can't just like float around. They literally are only for racing. And so they, yeah. they come apart so that they can be like transported and stored. Um, and so like they took part, part of the boat and like would put it on a rig of some sort on the side of a, a boat and like film that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, which is cool, I guess, uh, a cool little, trick that they found but yeah really like to me um to me like 
Oh, one more visual thing. The turnstiles. I thought the mm. turnstiles were really cool. There was actually, um, yeah. uh, so there's three different turnstiles. There's the one at the Freeport. Um, and that one is like a smaller one, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that like, I think so. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little more. Yeah. It's the, it's the horizontal one. Like they turn horizontally and it's a little bit smaller. And then there's one, I can't remember where the big one is. There's one somewhere I else. I think the, the big one is in the, the, Oh, I actually don't know the location of it. It's like, it's got the red light, blue light. Like that's the big one, I think. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's, it kind of has the feel of like, Oh, you can move bigger stuff back mm-hmm. and forth through through time in that one and then there's the one like towards the end at the like final battle where it's like this vertical um oh yeah where they're they're kind of like filing into it and they're all like turning like they're rotating vertically instead of like horizontally yeah they're like going mm-hmm. yeah yeah which that one was a cool like design too it's like a um assembly line feel to it because they're like filing all the soldiers are like filing into the turnstiles yeah you need um, to move a lot of things fast not right one big thing yeah. slowly yeah so I, I thought the turnstiles were cool and the design of like just the idea of like these two turning things mir- mirroring each other kind of like portraying like the changing in direction of time sort of thing mm-hmm. um i thought that design was pretty cool um and pretty yeah same it was like, very yeah tangible you know it's like you see it like you can see oh he goes in here it turns and then he comes out over there like going the opposite way it's like oh okay yeah you know um yeah i just thought it was it was really cool just and just like crazy like the crazy amount of stunt work that went into like learning choreography forwards and backwards to make these sequences work. Cause when you watch it, you literally are like, how did they do this? Like when you, like you watch the, um, you know, the self fight him with himself when he comes out of the turnstile, uh, JDW that is. And you're like, how did they do this? Because visually it's like, it, it's like it messes with your mind because you know one person's going forward and the other person's going backwards and it actually like looks like that and it's very yeah. like mind-boggling and it make it is one of those times where you're sitting in a movie like wondering how they made it <laughs> which I think is fun. Um, yeah. I like it when it, movies it is... make you wonder that. Yeah, well and and then like like all the people say with Nolan uh, how are we going to do this for real? Cause no, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but that is one of the places that the technicality kind of loses me. Cause like, okay, That's fair. Like, yeah. so the, at the end, like when it's red team, blue team, blue team goes through like, like red team goes through the battle mm-hmm. and then blue team goes through it after them. But then red team has the knowledge that they got. So it's like they're both going through at the same time. Like that at least makes some tactical sense to where it's like, okay, they know the enemy is going to do this thing Mm -hmm. because blue team told them. So they defend for that. Like that makes sense. But when it's like him fighting himself, that did kind of confuse me. See, it's the Um, opposite for me. 
really. Yeah, when he comes out and he's like fighting himself, like I can wrap my mind around that, but like I'm totally like I honestly like I'm totally lost as to what's happening in that final battle scene. Like I understand the concept mm-hmm. that you are expanding like oh the blue team is going back through it and they're like they've got they it's kind of like they're the recon team really like they're getting the information by going backwards through the fight so that the red team going forwards through the fight, you know, has the information they need to, to pull off the mission successfully. Like I understand that concept, but watching it visually, I'm like, I don't know, even with the red and blue signifiers, I'm like, I don't know who's who, who are they shooting at? Um, I mean, did you even see anyone that they were shooting at? Like, it's so confusing. Like who's firing on who? Like, right. Well, and I think, I think the idea is, and I don't know this for a fact, but I don't think the people that they're fighting have as big of a pincer movement team as they do. I think they are basically defending this area and they have a couple people like the guy, like the main, one of the main henchmen. Yeah. 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 He's um, down in the the charge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, but he goes backwards, and that's one of the people that Neil sees when he tries to stop him from running in. So that guy, I think, was one of the pincer movers. But it's not like red team, blue team. It's more, you know, I, I think they're just all defending the area. Right. Um, yeah. But it's just confusing to me. It's it's like I don't know. I don't think there's a certain amount of times I can watch it and understand it. I think I'll always just be like, mm. I don't really understand what's happening here. And I'm just going to have yeah. to roll with it. <laughs> I guess, I guess from a, like, like it's uh, cool visually, but it doesn't <laughs> well, mean I understand yeah, I, it. <laughs> I guess from a practical standpoint of you have a group of people trying to accomplish a goal. Right. So you have the other team move backwards through time to f- get all the information. Mm-hmm. which is instantaneously given to red team because they've already gone through it, you know, um, makes sense. But like the building explosion, like, like it looks cool, but I don't yeah. get that either. Honestly, like, I, yeah. Why is it exploding you know, and then rebuilding and then exploding again? <laughs> like, what's the point of that? Like yeah. it, other than like, it just looks really cool, which if that's all it is, then like, awesome like because it does it does look really cool but i'm just like what and that's the thing with this final battle sequence um which like it's just so very complicated um so many different moving parts it, they shot three weeks to to capture that sequence mm-hmm. um and it's the last thing they did and like i, I almost wonder if they're just like they're just like, we've got to get, we've got to just be done with this movie. <laughs> and, uh, because usually, um, usually I am not so confused about like s- space and time in a Nolan movie. Usually mm-hmm. he's pretty good with geography. So, um, like to, to the degree like that I would make the comparison with like a lot of his the dark Knight rises is, a, I guess maybe a similar to this. They're like that last sequence with like where they're chasing the, um, the thing through the city. And then you have like 
you're shooting in like you're, you're shooting in three different cities like the mm-hmm. same like sequence uh and like it's you lose this sense of space sort of um i feel like it's a similar thing here where like usually nolan is pretty good at like the geography of his of his like shots and the blocking and everything that goes into that. But like, I don't know in this, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. Like when they're way zoomed out, I can kind of see everything, but like when you're in the middle of it, like you don't know what's going on and maybe that was purposeful, but like it kind of takes me out of the movie personally where I'm Mm -hmm. like, I don't know where they are. I don't know. I don't know when I'm in the middle of it. I don't like, I know they're trying to get into the cavern, but like, I can't picture it. Like I I have no sense of space when I'm watching that sequence. Yeah. Um, Especially compared to something like inception where I feel like one thing inception does very well is explaining the rules of the thing. Sure. Yeah. Like that whole sequence you know, of Leonardo DiCaprio explaining, mm-hmm. okay, you're in a dream. Yeah. This is the rule. Like, oh, if you die in a dream, it's okay. You wake up, but you can't die in limbo. And then that yeah. comes back in the end, like they're in limbo. They <laughs> yeah. can't, you know, it, all the rules of the system being explained pretty concisely. Then there's like the training montage of them building the world mm-hmm. and then they go on the heist. And that's, you know, yeah. the, the third act. Whereas, with this, it was, I, and I think what you said about it being intentional, potentially, I think that's, I think that's the idea. Yeah. I think with, because even, I might be mistaken with this. I actually don't know how it's referred to, but, but when it's first explained to the protagonist, it's explained as reversing entropy. Right. And mm-hmm. not reversing time. And that is where it gets interesting because it's, trying to be more scientifically yeah. plausible well, than Kip, just he did have Kip Thorne come back and like advise on like the science stuff of this which Kip yeah. Thorne was you know involved in Interstellar so but yeah, yeah okay but but like the, the idea of the entropy of a system being reversed mm-hmm. so that it's tending towards order so like then it's going it's getting you're getting a 10 weeks younger you're getting a week younger when you're going towards this thing and then you exit time going forward and you're you're normal um i think the idea of entropy and chaos is yeah. kind of the point of some of that like it, mm, you're not really yeah, supposed maybe. to understand i don't know yeah. maybe that's a defense but yeah I, yeah i yeah i can see where you're coming from i I will give like, I don't know. I can just for me, like, so like at the end of the day, like this feels like a, like kind of like the, the thing that dim- diminished and I like this movie overall, like I'm positive on this mm-hmm. movie. Um, so I, it's just like the movie that I have the most like problems with out of, like most of Nolan's films. Yeah. Like, even though like, I think I'll, I might like this more than insomnia, but I have like very little problems with insomnia. Like I do with this. Mm-hmm. One. Um, and like, it's just like, 
man, pick a lane. Do you want us to be like in deep thought about, <laughs> about like the concepts of what's happening or do you want us to just experience it? And if it feels like every scene, it's like he wants you to do both. And I'm like, you, mm. you can't do both. Like I either need to understand what's going on or you just need to like, cause it, it's like he teases you with what's going on. It's like, uh-huh. you got Ives, Aaron Taylor Johnson coming on. It's like temporal pencil movement. And you're like, okay, like, what does that mean? We're just going to do it. They're going to go this way and we're going that way. Let's <laughs> let's go. And you're like, okay, but I still don't understand exactly what's going on. Okay. I guess I'm supposed to just watch it and experience it. But then like, yeah, you've been teased with this idea and you're like, that's so that's in the back of your mind. I don't know. I'm just like, man, pick a lane. Do you want us to <laughs> experience it? Or do you want this to be some sort of like intellectual exercise? Like, Cause like a lot of his movies are both, but this one to me just doesn't work as both. Like inception is both. Right. Um, interstellar is both sort of like, uh, but this one is like, man, it just doesn't compute to, for it to be this intellectual exercise and an experience at the same time for, for my mind. And that's, that's just certain sequences. I think that's why, like I can still say like, I really enjoy this movie and like it overall is because it's really just like particular sequences that that applies to. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily the movie as a whole that that applies to. Yeah. I I definitely agree. I mean, I think, I think a very good point to make as well is that Nolan is really good at action, Mm -hmm. like in, in getting you to start the opening of the movie is a great example of that. Right. I, yeah. I, the, the opening of the movie, oh. you have this swarm of, you have this swarm of police going towards the building. And then you've got your four guys that, you know, are up to something and you see them move across that crowd in a tight unit. One guy peels off, one guy peels off. Then they start opening doors. It's like, it's so every time I watch the yes. movie, it's like, I'm just there in it. Same thing with the opening of the dark Knight. I mean, mm-hmm. um, Inception's got incredible action sequences that just are very narrative driven. And so I, my honest assumption about Tenet is it, it's going over my head and I'm yeah. not catching something I should be because it is so great in, in so many areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think yeah. conceptually you For can sure. get very confused quickly because it doesn't. Yeah lend itself to explanation like all of his other films really do yeah yeah and there's a certain degree to which like you i guess like for stuff like i guess with interstellar like black holes and wormholes there's kind of like this pop culture like general understanding of those concepts that you can kind of like play with Mm. and like maybe dig into deeper like the actual science of it and there's they have i mean you have you have scientists literally that you're following around. So it makes sense for them to talk about the science of it (laughs) and how it works. Yeah. And in this movie, you're just like following this like no named protagonist spy around. And like, you really don't have a full grasp on like the, the logistics of how everything's working exactly. Mm. And again, this is, it really just applies to certain sequences. And I do feel like I understand, I understand intellectually, like, I guess 
the concept of everything that's happening. It's just sometimes visually, and like this is maybe why it's a problem for me is because like the movie literally tells you in the dialogue, like don't think about it, just experience it. But mm-hmm. there's certain sequences that like I have to think about for it to make sense. Because if I'm just watching it yeah. and not thinking about it, I'm like <laughs> super confused. That final battle sequence being a big one, a big example of that. Like I have yeah. to think about, OK, I have to reorient myself intellectually in the middle of it. Because if I'm just experiencing it, I'm like I have no idea what's happening. Um, yeah. And I, I think something that this movie does answer for me or does accomplish for me is something that has just been kind of a growing thing that I've noticed. And I mean, in some cases, like I'm not going to get into deep technical analysis of the fast and the furious. Cause I've only honestly <laughs> seen the the last two that have come out. I'm not deep into the you know movies, but it's like a plot point in the 10, I think, or nine where they say like, we're indestructible. Like your character is either, superman and cannot die (laughs) or somewhere on the other end of that so adept at what they do that nothing is a threat to them maybe yeah and that kind of is one of the things in in spy movies is like i like the precision action guy that your action that that happens but at some point i'm like how are they that good and this movie is like not only is the protagonist a very good, very good at what he does. Like you see, man, the kitchen fight scene is oh, so, so good. good. Yeah. Oh, I love that. She's one of my the favorite face, the whole, in the whole movie. Yeah. Because of, talk the, about that. because of the swagger that JGW has, like where he's like, <laughs> and the power, Oh like, man. Anyway. Yeah. That, that he is a very, he is extremely good at what he does. Mm-hmm. But I think where the movie starts kind of going off the deep end to let you know that like he is not going to accomplish what he wants to do unless he embraces his tech is the heist scene mm-hmm. because they did everything they could to keep it tight and Sater had a pincer movement going on. And yeah. so I think for me, what all this to say, I think for me what this does is it gives a tangible reason that someone who is as proficient as the protagonist is that what he does would have an ace in the hole because he's got a pincer move going on. And it's mm-hmm. not just because he staked the place out and was, was ready in our terms. He had help from the future. I don't know. <laughs> I just, it's funny. Right. But the, the point is like, he has a time travel accomplice that can get mm-hmm. these things. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, he is like. He is very obviously. Very adept and proficient at his craft of, you know, taking guys out and being a good spy. (laughs) Um, Cheese graters to the face and all. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But yeah, and I think I think overall, like. I. Like I said, I do understand everything overall. And so the it's just like there's just moments where I'm kind of taken out of the experience, which I feel like is yeah. the opposite of what Nolan was wanting. But um but yeah, I still enjoy those sequences. They're like a lot of fun, but I 
I don't really kind of taken out of them at points. Yeah. You know, kind of like wrapping up this section. One of the things that I really love about Nolan is um, just that he, how involved he is in all of these things. He's, he's a director. And a lot of times the director, you think about the director kind of standing there either at the camera or like with his monitor and like giving direction to the actors and the camp and the camera operators, the DP and stuff. But Nolan really mm-hmm. like he directs every department. It's, it feels like, like he's, he's working hand in hand with like the stunt guy on the coordination there. And he's working hand in hand with Nathan Crowley, like in the production design and everything that goes into that. And he's working hand in hand with, uh, with lame as she's, like working on editing and putting it like he's like, he literally is like a director with a capital D he's directing everything, Mm -hmm. um, which is really impressive. And, and it's, uh, I loved it. This, uh, uh, JDW was talking about how Nolan's energy and determination is infectious. And I loved that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I loved that kind of thought of like, when you have this creator, that's so like, involved and determined and like excited and has this energy it's like infectious to the whole crew um and cast you know um yeah yeah and he he said it makes you want to keep going and to do you know to do better and to like to get to accomplish it and um so yeah i I really appreciate that about nolan Hmm. yeah um yeah just like with the wrapping up of this like uh the the timeline of this movie and being being made like it was released like we've kind of already touched on like when this movie was released it was released like really like before lockdown was kind of totally done here in the states anyways mm-hmm. um it uh i mean i, f- I f- want to say new york and california were still like totally closed down um when this movie came out um i'm like I'm fairly certain of that. Um, so it really didn't have a great opening here, but it was one of those mm-hmm. things where a lot of places in the world, like weren't that bad off as far as COVID goes. And they're kind of like begging for movies <laughs> like, Hey, you know, please send your movies here. You know, we're doing all right. Um, and so th- this is, this movie is an example of this period where like, domestically it really like didn't do that well but worldwide it did okay um it it made the eventual 363 million worldwide which like mm-hmm. honestly like isn't very good a return on a 200 dollar 200 million dollar movie um yeah but under the circumstances it's kind of like what can you expect you know <laughs> what could, what could you expect it to do um yeah uh, but yeah but the big thing with this coming out was no one's like fallout with wb with uh warner mm-hmm. brothers um because they announced uh after this this movie was 2020 um i'm pretty sure released 2020 uh and they had announced uh or i guess at some point later in 2020 that they were planning on releasing all of the films that they're distributing to theaters on hbo max the same day 
And that was a big no-no for Nolan. I wrote down this quote. He said, some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out that they were working for the worst streaming service. <laughs> it's like he was mad. Well, that's a way to put it. <laughs> he, he was not happy. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he he did. He ended it. Um, yeah, he, he left Warner brothers, which is crazy because he had so much freedom at Warner brothers. It's like, um, yeah, it's just crazy to think that he's had his whole career there all the way back to insomnia, his first studio movie, uh, um, wow, yeah. was with Warner brothers and yeah, this there, that does that announcement they made was just like no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. That's not the sort of movie. Mm-hmm. the The movies I'm making are not made for that. Um, but yeah, and I'm pretty sure he went on. He, uh, I think Universal is the one that picked up Oppenheimer, um, mm-hmm. and did the production and distribution stuff for for Oppenheimer. So, um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, he moved on. Yeah, wasn't the uh, wasn't the I heard like a rumor that the reason uh, Barbie got released on Oppenheimer Day was kind of a Warner Bros. Like it's it's purely speculation, uh, but but like an attempt to be kind of attack Nolan. I don't know the right way hmm. to word it. Yeah, but basically, like know. in other words, to compete. And it ended up, I think it ended up helping both. That's a whole concept to discuss. Yeah, it did. It, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, it. that's like the most genius accidental marketing scheme ever. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no way they could have predicted like what, what became of Barbenheimer. But yeah, that's a whole nother no. podcast for sure. Um, yeah, this, this movie released 2020 they had the 2021 academy awards um you know for the 2020 movies which was like a weird that whole those whole like Mm -hmm. two or three years there with the academy awards was kind of weird because like you you don't have like a ton of movies that have come out and then like they're doing it's like not in person so it's kind of weird uh yeah yeah it was a weird I remember that those one, I think it was like one or two instances of the, the, the Oscars was like, kind of like weird. They were like trying to do different stuff with like bringing people in video conference. And it was just kind of weird. But yeah, it did. uh, It did get nominated for two uh, categories. Uh, Production design was one. It didn't win that, but it did win visual effects uh, for visual mm. effects, which I think it totally deserves like visual effects. And this are it's just incredible. And like I said, like innovative, they're doing something like this is the this is one of the big reasons that this movie is still like I really, really enjoy and like even with all my problems and issues with it is. Man, I watched I went to the theaters and I watched this movie and. I was like, I've never seen anything like that before. Like ever visually. I've Mm. never seen a dude fight his backward self before on screen. And it looked like a real 
guy fighting himself backwards like incredible like right like <laughs> right yeah yeah um like literally no no one has ever done that before um yeah just definitely just really cool like i mean people have like done backwards film before but never like action set pieces with like forwards and backwards running at the same time um, yeah and not to this extent for sure right uh but yeah cast um uh, one of the things i had written down was like nolan really like avoided a-list actors for this like obviously he brought mm. michael kane back in but like if you think about it like john david washington wasn't huge at this point robert pattinson w- had been just he had just mostly been doing like um kind of indie these indie art house more like films for a while after twilight um so he was kind of like a little bit he was kind of at a point where he wasn't he had kind of waned on his like uh pull from the twilight movies uh, mm. and um so i mean he's all that to say like he's not pulling in a matthew mcconaughey or a leo to do this movie he's pulling in yeah the two like main guys that you're you're going through this movie with really like i mean john david washington i guess kind of has like his dad's kind of like cachet just because his dad is denzel washington but like you know mm-hmm. he's still like they're not a-list actors um which i thought was interesting i guess it brings a bit of an uh, anonymity and and a Man, that's a difficult word. <laughs> and, and anonymity. Anonymity. There you go. Right. Um, to, I guess, like to that intrigue spy kind of feel like it's these guys mm-hmm. that you're not like overly familiar with, I guess, is where I'm going with with that. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's something I that's something I experienced. I mean, even liking the actor in one role. Mm hmm. Anytime I see Chris Evans, he, he's Captain America. He, he, you know, he's just right, right. He's linked to that in my mind, right? And sure. even in Knives Out, it's like, oh, Captain America's being a jerk. What's going on? You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's not his fault yeah. at all. Yeah, you know, it's just the roles. But and that that's the way you know our minds work sometimes. But yeah, I think that's a really good um point. He was a fresh face, right? protagonist in this movie and to us yeah yeah nolan uh nolan liked john david washington he saw a premiere of uh black klansman he was like man i liked that guy's charisma Mm. and so that's why that's what drew drew him to to casting him um and like uh and two like he has uh so he was um an aspiring like pro football player um for a while he he played uh morehouse college running back he was drafted he wasn't he was not drafted into the nfl but he got picked up as a udfa which is a undrafted free agent by the rams um and he he got dropped before the season i think um Mm. but he did play in the ufl which is like it's kind of like a minor league pro uh football league um he played like i, th- I want to say four years as a running back in that um so all that to say like he's got the athleticism 
needed for this sort of oh, part. Yeah. And it really comes across like, and especially like the standout for me is still that, that kitchen scene that we talked about earlier. Like his physicality yeah. and athleticism is just like incredible on screen. Um, oh I yeah, I even, agree. I, even that opening sequence of just him, like running around, like, uh, uh, like when he first comes into the building, he's like running around that curved, like lobby. Um, he just yeah. like looks awesome running. <laughs> yeah. He's not, he's not quite the, um, like Tom Cruise run. Because sure. He, he's seems more powerful. I would say right. he's running. He seems more yeah. raw and like strong i guess it would but, be interesting you know. like i i think after i wonder like if they'll keep want to try to keep mission impossible going after this mm-hmm. next uh last tom cruise one it'll be interesting to see if they keep it going if they do who they use because i i think john david washington could actually do the ethan hunt like obviously i he think would, he would be a very good choice yeah, as well it, he would be like you said a little different but he has a similar like um charisma and like athleticism to him yeah that like i think he could do it i don't know if he's gunko about stunts like tom cruise is but yeah. <laughs> maybe not yet he's just... not yet yeah and i did not mean to disparage the tom cruise run by the way i'm a fan i think it's oh, yeah. great oh yeah i think it's so cool that he like trained the way he looks running on screen yeah and he runs oh yeah incredibly fast and it it looks good yeah i know what you meant i know what you were saying though like it's it's the the power that i mean he was a running back like he runs with with power (laughs) like uh it's a different sort of run than like tom cruise sprinting like it's just different yeah um but yeah one of the things was interesting was like this he brings it like he's got charisma for sure but he also brings like a warmth a little to the spy character, which mm-hmm. Nolan had mentioned at some point too, um, which I, I thought was interesting. Um, I think he's really good in this movie. Um, I don't know. I, I've heard people be like, Oh yeah, John David Washington was incredible in this movie. And I feel like he's just like, yeah, he was really good. Um, I wasn't mm-hmm. like blown away by his performance. There's like, times where he kind of feels weirdly stiff and i wonder if that's more on him or more on like the script because it does feel Mm. at times that like because of how like no identity this guy is there's no backstory there's no he's just uh yeah he's like the man with no name uh like clint eastwood like just rolling into the middle of the plot um and it's like I don't know. There, there's a degree to which I wonder if like, that's just the nature of that sort of character where at times they feel wooden because like, you don't have any like character connection to them. So like when they are like kind of warm and loving, and then they're switching back and forth between that and like action spy hero, it kind of like is a mm-hmm. little off putting, but it might just be the nature of, it might not be his performance. It might just be the nature of that sort of character. Um, not really sure, honestly. But yeah. yeah, Robert Pattinson though, that dude is so cool in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really is. He um, definitely is. Like, 
uh, and you know, Nolan had a, uh, talked about like his, he's, he saw like a compelling present. I think good time is the main one he referenced like the, his, mm-hmm. he said he had a compelling presence in, in that movie, but I think he did. I, I want to say he mentioned like other ones like high life and the lighthouse too. Um, but yeah, the, the, I heard this anecdote. Um, so I know part of it's true, which is that Pattinson had a long conversation with Nolan, uh, before he was cast like a three hour conversation. And, um, the anecdote that I, I don't remember the source, so I don't know how trustworthy this is. So, but I heard that he, as the interview was like, going on he he felt like his blood sugar was dropping robert pattinson and so Mm -hmm. like towards the very end he had like asked nolan if he had kind of mentioned that and asked nolan for like a candy bar that was on his desk and nolan was like oh yeah you know here you go and then just kind of like ended the the meeting and like he hadn't hadn't mentioned anything about the film and so robert (laughs) robert pattinson was like recalling like talking to his agent afterwards and then being like, how'd it go? And he's like, yeah, it, re- it was good. And he's a really nice guy. And we had good conversation. He's like, but he didn't mention the film at all. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that I got it, but apparently that was good enough for Nolan. Um, I just thought that was a really funny anecdote. He thought he had like ruined his chance <laughs> at the movie yeah. by asking for his candy bar. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's, and, uh, I guess too, like Pattinson in this movie feels like the Nolan's, it feels like a lot of Nolan movies have like a Nolan stand in, like DiCaprio mm-hmm. is kind of the, the Nolan stand in and in inception. He kind of like looks and dresses like him. And that's kind of how Robert Pattinson yeah. feels in this, like in this one too. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki is pretty good. I th- that's how I feel about most of the, the, the acting in this movie. It's all pretty good. I, you know, positive, but not like yeah. fantastic. I don't, I don't, I don't look at anyone in this movie and be like, man, they really knocked it out of the park. It's all like, yeah, really good. It, you know, it's like, it's somewhere between serviceable and it's like, it's better than serviceable. It's like, it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like, you know, knock your socks off acting. I don't think happening in this movie for me, I've heard other people Mm -hmm. express a different opinion on that. As far as like, especially JDW and, and Robert Pattinson goes, um, really love their performances. And I think they're good. I think they're good, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I thought she, I thought she did a good job as well. Yeah. And it's such a like tricky role too, because I mean, she's not only, I mean, abused, but then it's also like she's going back. Like she's having to act like a part of the character I don't, we hadn't seen, right? So Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, I could see how it could be a very complicated thing for an actor to say, okay, how would she be acting I'm acting backwards. <laughs> we, well, about there's actually a funny quote that she uh, had in one of the behind the scenes things about um, the. Well, I think actually um, 
it was when Kenneth Ron was talking about um, playing Seder and then talking backwards with a Russian accent. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was something she she said is like there, there's kind of an kind of a joke. I thought how 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 good you're you've been doing your homework. Can you can you speak backwards in a Russian accent? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, she was, she was really good. There's some interesting things she has to do as far as acting goes that I think she pulls off pretty well. Like, mm-hmm. like again, pretty good. Um, Branagh is like full ham um, in this one, which is funny because he, yeah. he had this like air of nobility in Dunkirk. And in this movie, it's like totally inversed. It's like he's like yeah. this, this despicable guy um, that like really like he makes it, I think Nolan had said this in an interview, like, or in a, or in the making of or whatever. He's like, he really makes it hard for you to sympathize with that character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, you really do. Like, I don't sympathize with, with Seder at all, which is odd because yeah, no. usually like Nolan's like protagonist and antagonists kind of like, even, I mean, you think about, I mean, Bane, kind of has a little bit of sympatheticness to him built into his character. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, I don't know. I just feel like they're, his characters are normally more dynamic with that than that. But with yeah. this being Even like if- a spy movie, that's like bond esque. if, I mean, he's straight up a bond villain, like over the yeah. top, uh, like pure evil villain. But, but a good thing to me is that, it doesn't feel like kind of the cookie cutter evil for evil's sake villain. Like he sure. Yeah. He just portrays like this violent, angry, greedy man. That's Mm -hmm. if I can't have the world, then no one can like, that's, that's a horrible, you know, opinion to have obviously, but it's such a understandable opinion for a violent horrible person to have like it's not just i I don't know maybe i'm splitting hairs but it's not just i'm going to destroy the whole world because i have the capability to Mm -hmm. it's i'm going to destroy the whole world because i'm not going to be here anymore and Mm -hmm. that's just it's despicable but it it's despicable you can't sympathize with it because it's awful right but it's somehow like believable yeah I get, I yeah, I get for, what you're saying. Villain. I get what you're saying. I, I, you know, I've never really, I haven't really thought about it in those terms before, but mm-hmm. yeah, I get, I, I guess I get that. Um, I was, I guess in my mind, I was thinking of it more of like over the top bond villain where like, it's just this evil dude. That's like, that wants to like destroy everything. And you just kind of yeah. go with it because yeah, it's there has to be somebody. Yeah, it doesn't have to be Thanos where like there's this like there's this like logical justification for what mm-hmm. he's doing. It's just like, no, this guy's bad. We've got to stop him. <laughs> and it's like, okay, let's go. Let's stop the bad guy. And sometimes yeah. I think like, yeah, that's cool. Like it's cool to have like um a very easily distinguishable bad guy that you don't have to sympathize with. Um but yeah, um and he, uh, he does play that role yeah. really well oh for as, sure as well yeah yeah other other acting um you have uh dimple Kapadia playing priya i thought she was good again 
Um, mm-hmm. One of the things she said was that she loved, um, apparently for her audition, Nolan was like operating the camera for her audition. She was like, oh, I love that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Cannot imagine that. Yeah. Huh? Um, yeah, I thought she was good. I thought Himesh Patel was good in his like very small role. We already talked about mm-hmm. um, a little Aaron Taylor Johnson jumping in and saying temporal pincer movement. And you're like, <laughs> okay, guy. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, good. Uh, Michael Caine, of course, you have to have the Michael Caine appearance in the Nolan movie. Yes. Um, I love. Which he is. Go ahead. Well, I guess he is retired. He is retired now, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that official? I don't know. I maybe so. I I want to say I saw something now that you say that. I think I do movie. remember something about that but yeah 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 i i loved um in the the special features uh jdw had said he was like acting across from michael kane and he's like super nervous and like he was like i guess i guess he like really likes michael kane as an actor because he was like nerding Mm -hmm. out um and uh he said i was really nervous and i was trying to like uh i was like concentrating really hard on my acting he said but at some point i just uh the quote i put was he said i'm just gonna watch for a minute so he's <laughs> basically like just saying like okay i'm gonna sit right here across from michael kane and watch him act for a minute because he just <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was really uh i thought it was like a sweet little like thought uh that he had shared yeah there. um but yeah um, everyone else is kind of like very side character like you know, we mentioned Clements Posey as Barbara, the kind of Q stand in. You have Martin Donovan playing. Apparently his character had a name, Faye. Uh, he's kind of the guy mm. that like. Uh, he wakes up when he wakes up in the boat after apparent after supposedly having taken cyanide. He's the guy that like sets him on. He's the one that first tells him tenant and gives him the motion. Uh, but yeah, Martin Donovan was also in in insomnia so a little call back mm-hmm. there i thought the the little i mean the side the sidekick the russian sidekick guy he was fine um you know he was really good at falling into that hole uh there <laughs> in the cap <laughs> uh but yeah you know like i said overall good acting not phenomenal in my opinion personally um yeah i guess like let's let's touch on we've already hit a few of these like kind of technical or thematic points um that i wanted to talk about um Mm -hmm. we you know we've talked about experiencing it in our kind of like my struggle with that um uh other critiques we kind of we've touched on character development. I didn't want to say like in the movie like this, is it important that there's character development or not? Like, what what do you think? Because I don't think there yeah. is a lot of character development. But at the same time, I, I, I like kind of question like, does should there be like, does there need to be? I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't feel like I don't know. I mean, we all typically you you want an arc or you want there's lots of there's lots of focus on you know the character mm-hmm. having a need and either you know what's what's their need what's their desire you know um 
And I think with, I've, I've heard some people say that as well. Like there, he didn't have it. There wasn't as strong of like an emotional core or it, again, not, not to beat a dead horse and compare it to inception, but you have a very clear motivation for your main character. He's not with his kids. Yeah. He misses his kids. He's and torn his, away from. Yeah. His yeah. wife is and dead his, and tormenting him in his dreams. Right. Right. <laughs> and so there's like all this emotional core for the main character. Yeah. But I, I don't, I don't know. It didn't feel, it didn't feel like, it wasn't there because he was not an interesting character. It felt like it was not there because that wasn't the story being told. And and the story, I don't know. I think for me, the thing that just like tie, because there's always the Nolan has very good, like wrap ups, you know, the, the final sting and you realize what, the hats are there or something. You saw that in the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's very subtle sometimes, but then it's also in your face. And I think for me, the the whole thing that wrapped up really well was Neil being in the end. And mm-hmm. that's unfortunately like right at the end of the movie. Yeah, and so yeah. it's not, you don't get the deep character connection. You don't get to see the relationship. You know, it's the start of their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that didn't, that didn't really bother me. I didn't feel like I felt like he portrayed an agent doing what he needed to do to save the world. And I didn't really need it to be a a perfect character arc. You know, he's, he's great at the beginning. He's great at the end. Yeah. The thing he needed was this complicated pincer maneuver and he yeah. used that to get in the, the algorithm which is a weird yeah <laughs> like i don't understand what the algorithm exactly is mm. um like i i don't know what it is exactly or what exactly it does for one thing but i also don't understand why it looks the way it does <laughs> like that just these weird pieces the first of metal part i feel like i know <laughs> yeah the first part i feel like i know the second part i don't yeah <laughs> and th- this is interesting as like, well can it, you, you can probably... it just be usb drives like why is it this weird <laughs> like chunks of metal yeah. um the uh explicit call out to oppenheimer that occurs in tenet oh yeah which mm-hmm. yep. yeah so the manhattan um, project Mm-hmm. There's a so, theory that wonder... that uh, Barbara is the the one that made the algorithm and the turnstile stuff. I have heard that. Yeah, I think that's a good. I, I think that's good. There's all, there's all kinds of. Yeah, there's well, another there's, one there's I want to also... talk about. We'll get to it. Okay, well, I'll, yeah. I'll wait for bringing that up. Then. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I my my implication of what the algorithm does which again i don't know why the boxes look that way either but it basically sends it's like a bomb that blows up the past (laughs) yeah like it sends radiation backwards in time that will kill us today okay to save the future right and that's something that was brought up that neil talks about is the grandfather paradox right and basically Neil, I I do like Neil's character because Neil is like, yeah, what's I happened has happened. Yeah, what's happened has happened. Uh-huh. 
the the the, the pe- all that matters is the people in the future think that they can kill us mm-hmm. and survive, so they're going to kill us. So we got to stop them. Yeah, and so he, that's kind of another way the movie is like guiding you through the thought process of like, but what happens if you kill your grandfather? Wouldn't it? Yeah. Kill? Don't think about it. They think they can. We got to stop them. Yeah. So that's what the algorithm does. Kills us, yeah, through some means, either nuclear or otherwise. I think it's just basically radiation. Yeah. I think the movie says that at some point, but just fair. Um, it, but it, again, this is another like just problem I have is like the writing isn't always great. Like usually, it's his, in his movies. Like with the exposition, you get very clear. Uh, like, the, are the concepts complicated sometimes? Like, yes, but like it's explained clear enough where you're like okay i've got it i'm on board let's Mm -hmm. like let's move that happens i feel like that's very much the case in inception it's very much the case in interstellar you're like yes complicated scientific thing yes but the general concept of it was exposited clearly enough where we can move into the action now and in this movie i feel like it's never clearly explained where i felt like I could now be like, okay, confusing. Yes, but I've got it. Let's jump into the action. It was always like, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, wait. And then you're in the action set piece and you're like, wait, you're, it's like disorienting. And the, I just feel like that's a mm-hmm. problem in the writing. Um, and maybe just the nature of taking on this, such a complicated concept. Um, yeah. That. No, I, I agree. Know, and the writing also I mean, in other places isn't great. Like it's going to destroy like, you know, the whole world if we don't stop it. And, <laughs> and, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Debicki's character's name is cat. Uh, she says, including my son, like, yes, lady, like, yeah. the, the whole world, including <laughs> your son. <laughs> That felt because uh, I rewatched it. I rewatched it in preparation for this again, right. and as well as like you know montages of certain things that were important, and that did stick out to me. Like <laughs> that was like such a hammering in what's important about this character. This what is this character's motivation? What is this char- character's driving need? Her son being safe. Even like, my son, like, <laughs> like no, lady, the yeah, whole world's felt... going to explode, and your son's going to be still alive. It's like, what do you want me to say? Yeah, I didn't understand that. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, at, at some point, I'm just like nitpicking the heck out of this movie, and I don't want to just do that the whole episode. So, no, yeah, I can, I can do that too. So, I mean, let's, it, let's it's check each other. It is like. So like the, there is the question of like, does this movie actually have like thematic heft? And for me, the answer is yes and no. Um, Mm. Because I think, I think it's all there. Um, But I think you have to do a lot of like work after the movie to get there. Whereas I think a lot of Nolan's other movies, like you can, you can get there while you're watching the movie. Um, And I I think that's the main issue with this one for me is Mm. like, I can get there. I can, I can wrap my head around eventually these thematic concepts that he's working with. But like, 
and Nolan does enjoy like the lingering effects of a movie and thinking about a movie. Like I get that, but, but like with inception, with interstellar, with the prestige, like there's stuff you want to talk about and think through afterwards, but like the general thematic heft of the movie is like felt and seen and experienced while you're watching it. And with this one, it feels like, like even with the, the, you know, the final like moment with protagonist and Neil, it's like, you kind of have to think about it for a while afterwards to kind of find the thematic heft of what, what that really means. Um, and I don't know, it, like, that's why I say, like, yes, it's there, but also, like, no, it's it's not there. You have to do extra work afterwards to, to find it. Um, yeah. And maybe that's just a personal thing. Maybe it's because I was so, like, um, lost in the minutia of the plot mechanics that, like, more so than his other movies that, like, I couldn't quite... Um, get there thematically, but I don't know. Um, what was there a big thematic theme that stood out to you? Like as a takeaway, as, as something that like you really took away from this film? Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, I don't know if this is a good way of saying it. I, I haven't thought about, this this is just kind of straight off the top of my head but i think kind of (laughs) this is gonna sound really lame but it's like it'll all work out or like it's like the end the the future will take care of itself like sure you can only really focus on your next decision Mm -hmm. or or maybe also maybe a better way of saying that is like what neil said several times what happens 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 yeah you know move on make your next decision and yeah you know don't get caught up in the the paradoxical things that yeah occur just focus on your next decision i i don't know that doesn't feel like a clean no yeah answer because i agree i you know i agree it's yeah. it's almost like the op- optimistic version of the the irishman it is what it is <laughs> mm. uh i don't know if you remember that line from that movie, if you've seen it, but, um, no, actually, I have not seen that. Okay. Well, there's like a line where like, um, it, you know, one character says to another, it is what it is, but it's like mm-hmm. a very, like, uh, a, a bad thing in that whole movie. Um, and in this movie, it feels like a similar line, like what's happened happened. And, but it's like optimistic in this movie. Um, and it is, I, th- I, th- yeah. I think it is exploring, it, you know, that idea and the whole grandfather par- paradox thing, which I can totally wrap my ra- mind around. It's, it's, it's this idea of like, well, you know, if they kill us, then they exist. And if they do kill us, then how could they exist to kill us? It's like that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole, like, yeah, it, it's confusing because we don't really know how time could work in that way um and fun to think about but i but all of these i think are tools to explore that idea of fate versus free will um Mm. and it is it does seem to be i don't know there i think there are interest in instances 
of exploring that where this feels kind of like, I don't know if a response to, or maybe like just a different perspective than inception because in inception, I feel like it deals with this idea a little bit more from a subjective point of view. Like, you know, your life is what you make it, what you decide it is going to be. Um, you know, just exploring that idea within the dream space and that sort of thing. Mm. But in this movie, there really isn't parallel realities. Like there's not, there's one reality and it yeah. doesn't matter if you're moving backwards or forwards through it. Like you don't change, they don't change anything. Like even when you get to scenes where they're going backwards through the scene, they don't change anything. It happens exactly like it did mm -hmm. when it was going forwards. You learn different things because you're getting a different perspective. Um, but the same things happen. They don't change anything when they go back through time because it's already happened. What's happened. Yeah. Happened. It's kind of like the, and so it's kind of like the, don't go through the turnstile if you don't see yourself exit. Yeah. Concept. Like if you don't go through, you can't exit, but if you don't exit, you didn't go through. I, yeah. Yeah. I don't, and it, but it is, it's exploring that idea of fate versus free will. And whereas like in a, in a movie like except inception, like that idea is kind of like, it's a more subjective reality. And in this movie, there's like totally an objective truth. There's an, an objective mm -hmm. reality that doesn't change no matter what you do um, to it. it. It is what it is. It what's happens happen. Um, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because you, when you, it's interesting to just explore those ideas of, okay, so what does that mean for like fate or predetermination or what does that mean for free will? Do we actually have free will? It's like, in the context of this movie, it's kind of like they don't really answer that question, but mm -hmm. they they take action on it, which I think is very like. Um, I don't know, it feels very real and palpable to reality, like we might ask those questions of ourselves, like when you when you dig into like our DNA or nature versus nurture or like cause and effect and how that happens in the universe and like you know are we truly do we actually truly have free will or is everything just determined by nature or by god or mm -hmm. whatever whatever thing you want to put that's determined doing the determining it doesn't really matter uh to explore that idea but like what what kind of comes across from this movie is like, well, maybe, maybe we don't have free will. Maybe we do, but the reality is we have to take action and, and do something with what we've got in front of us. Um, and I think that is, I think that speaks to our lives. Like, you know, we can get maybe wrapped up in that idea of, determination versus free will like what sort of free will mm -hmm. do we have but the reality is at the end of the day you have to take your life and your circumstances and act within it um it doesn't really matter if it's an illusion of free will you still have to do it <laughs> like yeah um and so i think that's an, an interesting 
thing to think about um, that this movie kind of speaks to. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that made any sense. It does to me. But. No, yeah, it, it definitely did. I, I think maybe, um, the difference for me. How, I, how how should I say this? I think with this movie, it it's all the pieces are presented at the end. Like, you know what Neil did. You right. know, Neil was the guy in the beginning, you know, Neil's going to die when he goes down, yeah. to, you know, when he leaves talking to the protagonist. Um, but it's, it's not, that's not the, f- the focus. The focus right. is like what happened. Mm-hmm. And, so so much less about the journey of how all the pieces got to the final picture, mm-hmm. but the final picture and the final picture is the protagonist knows what he has to do next. Right. In starting Tenet and meeting Neil. And so, yeah, I think that's a, yeah. And I, I think, I think that, I think we're speaking along the same lines. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's almost the sense that they, know they've won but they still have to continue doing what they have to do and like yeah. the determination to do that even you know it's almost like they can't let senioritis kick in like <laughs> they know like the yeah. end is there and that they know the end results but they've got to keep they've got to like push through and keep going and and determine what within themselves whether it's an illusion of free will or not it doesn't really matter like they have to keep moving forward and doing what they're supposed to do what's happened's happened because yeah you know it's that it all like plays into each other um and yeah it, it yeah it's interesting to think about I, some other things i had written down um i mean I, I think there are like some vague political themes i mean scientific hubris and environmental catastrophe are kind of like tossed about (laughs) within the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Not really more just as plot device than like actually explored though, I would say. Um, Yeah. It's definitely like, it's definitely (laughs) maybe the idea of like, Oh, an interstellar. They didn't, (laughs) no one saved them. (laughs) It's just (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I mean, that stuff is like there, but not really explored. I don't think, mm-hmm. um, uh, I did write down this quote from Nolan. He, he kind of says uh, in a sense, it's about the notion of belief. He says, we are imprisoned in our own view of the passage of time. Objective reality is a leap of faith. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I guess like, I guess that, I, you know, I should have quoted that earlier because I think that does speak to what we've been talking about with fate and free will. It's like at the end of the day, like there is an objective reality in this movie that doesn't change, but they still have a leap of faith that they have to do to like live within that, um, to actually like live and move and make choices and do things within that objective reality. It takes like a leap of faith because of what you're doing with playing with time. Like, you know, the end results and you know, like the past, but like in the present moment, yeah. you still have to like 
take a leap of faith and do the things that, you know, that you're supposed to do. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, another idea that I thought was interesting was this idea of like reverse entropy. Um, it, it sort of in a way being like a critique on nostalgia and nostalgia, mm. not being like these like fond memories of the past. Like, Oh yeah, I remember this in the nineties, like not really that idea, but more of the idea of like the good old days, like, Oh, if only we could get back to when things were like this, um, mm. maybe like a critique on that because it is that idea of like what's happened, happened. And like, really the past contains the seeds of the present. There's not, it's that idea that like nothing changes under the sun. Like when you go back, it's just the same thing. Um, it's not like yeah. you can get back to a better time. Um, things move forward. Um, and so like, even when you reverse entropy, it doesn't change anything. It's all the same. And it contains the seeds of what we're experiencing now. Um, and so like, it's, yeah, I guess in a sense, a critique on that idea of like that nostalgia of like, oh, if only we could get back to when things were like this. It's like, well, no, like for one, that's not how things work. Like what's happened, happened. Yeah. Um, and two, like it's all the same. It's 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 all the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if I, I, I don't know if you're specifically meaning like good old days within a person's experience like just that idea of like childhood oh, if only or, we could get back to when things were like this the world would be a better place yeah. it's that idea that and <laughs> and it's and it's like that sort of nostalgia stunts growth and forward movement mm-hmm. um in a way um, yeah yeah well and, the, and then there also kind of is i don't want to go too far down this line of thinking but there there is that kind of way of like oh if we could get back to this certain thing Mm-hmm. Um, is kind of almost mirrored in the idea of like, well, if you don't like this, then leave maybe, or sure. I don't get too yeah. far into the political idea of that. But it's like, I've always kind of disliked the, the good old day mindset myself, yeah. like of saying like, I I don't mean my, my experiences. Like there are times that I'm like, oh man, you know, I miss being right. carefree, right. much younger person, right? But the idea of like, oh, if we could get back to this, we romanticize things. Really. Right, right. And I think mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that. Like it, it's <laughs> there, there were times that we can see positive things, mm-hmm. but there were lots of negative things too. And it's like, I, I'm honestly very glad I live today because there right. are things, there's so many technologies that I'm like, I cannot imagine. <laughs> living before like air conditioning or i mean that's a silly one to list but it's like yeah what where do we draw the line like yeah yeah these were the good old days but we didn't have air conditioning it's like what (laughs) yeah so yeah that's a silly example because yeah but i know i know what you mean but yeah yeah for sure um yeah i think that's a bit in there maybe um just that that minor critique um yeah i I don't know there's other things i did want to talk about the neil theory i'm sure that's what you were about Mm. to reference earlier so i really like this theory i think it's real i think it's 
I think it's in there. Like, so it's, it's this idea basically that Neil is Kat's son, Maximilian. And even like, I want to say in the casting list, it's spelled. Let's see if I can find it right here, right on. No, it's just listed as Max. Mm. It's just listed as Max. But there's this idea that his full name is Maximilian. But instead of being spelled I-A-N, like L-I-A-N at the end, it's L-I-E-N. Um, mm-hmm. And so Neil is like short. It's like the backwards version of short for. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you take those last four letters of Maximilian spelled that way and it's Neil. And so that's one thing. And then, you know, there's, there's just like the idea of, I don't know. I like this theory because the movie, the movie doesn't end with Neil, like the Robert Pattinson, Neil, like walking away and, and, you know, and then that's that the movie ends with him watching cat walk away with max. Um, and I don't know, there's a bit of connection there. Like, cause he kind of has this same look of connection with Neil as he's walking away that he sort of has while he's watching cat walk away with max. And I almost wonder if he's made that connection and realizes like, Oh, that's him. And he's like, um, this is, I don't know, just just appreciating that in the moment of yeah. This is like the beginning of my friendship with this guy who's Cat's son right now. Um, yeah, I, there's a few reasons I like that as well. Yeah. Um, I think the first most obvious one is the movie begins the first like three minutes four minutes into the movie when the protagonist is saved by neil right and then the movie ends with the protagonist saving saving neil Neil. and his mom Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and then the other one is in the end of the movie when neil is like leaving but he says you're not gonna go check on her right not even from afar like almost hinting that he know like you can just infer that he then knows that he's like almost hoping he does because if he doesn't, then they won't survive. But yeah, anyway, yeah. that's kind of another way you could read that. And I think that's a good, yeah, I think that's a good interpretation. Yeah. And it makes it, and this is another thing. It's like, this is way more interesting and like brings more to the movie than is actually like there when you're experiencing it. Like you really Mm. have to sit down and think through all this stuff, which is like fun to do. And I guess like, um, anyway, yeah, it, it makes that those moments there at the end way more like meaningful too. When you, when you think about it in that light, because for one, like one thing that like, actually in both viewings i didn't quite catch but finally caught when i was like either listening to a uh another podcast or like reading or something but like neil basically like sacrifices himself for the mission because he's lying there dead um while they're in the cavern on the other side of the gate the locked gate that Mm -hmm. they can't get through where you know um henchman guy is like 
getting the algorithm together to explode or whatever. And he's, he's like, he's dead or so it seems, I mean, and, but it's an inverted him. It's an inverted nil there. And so like he's dead, but then he like comes back to life just because he's going backwards. Um, and so like Neil knows like I'm when he's walking off there at the end, he knows like I'm going back. I'm going back and I'm going to end up that guy that inverted me in there. Yeah. Dead. Um, and that's super meaningful. Like he's, I don't know. It just brings a lot of meaning to think like that. They, you know, he walks off and he's, you know, he has the, you know, for me, I think this is the end of a beautiful friendship. And it's like thinking about like the idea of the protagonist, you know, being there a part of like this kid's life and training him and them like becoming really good friends and like figuring out this whole mission and everything and executing it. And then it, it culminating like at the beginning for, for protagonist and at the end for Neil is like a really interesting idea. And I do want to say like, as far as like the acting goes, like there, the chemistry, the friendship chemistry before between like between JDW and Robert Pattinson as the protagonist and Neil is like really good. Um, Mm -hmm. really, really good. Like you really feel like they enjoy each other and are like, friends and have good chemistry together. Um, and it's weird because like they kind of have it from the get go, but they, they've supposedly just met as far as our perspective. <laughs> um, and it just like, yeah, like even Neil knowing he likes Diet Coke. Right. Right. Um, more than soda water. Right. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's just, it's like this cool, like thing that retroactively like makes a lot of the movie, like have a little bit more warmth to it. I don't think the emotion landed in the moment for me. And like, again, like it's this thing where like, I feel like Nolan wants me to just experience it, but like really like it only makes sense to me if through an intellectual exercise after the movie. And at that Mm -hmm. point, like I'm out of the movie, like I'm not really getting emotional about it. I'm just thinking about it and thinking like, Oh, it's cool. Like, and sweet yeah. and um and like a good like thing that he explored there of this friendship but like it doesn't emotionally impact me while i'm watching the movie which to me mm-hmm. like is not like necessarily a good thing i feel like it's sh- i don't know i enjoy thinking yeah. about it afterwards and like we are talking about it but at the same time i'm like but like i should be experiencing this in the movie not like having to think so hard about it. And at that point, like the emotion is totally out of the picture. Like I'm just thinking about it intellectually at that point, but Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I feel like I have like made it seem like I don't like this movie and I do like this. movie. (laughs) No, I I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, I I'm think frustrated it's, uh, with it because I do like it. That's it's yeah. coming from a pl- it's a fresh it's a loving frustration. <laughs> no, yeah, I definitely understand it. I, I mean, I def I I kind of nitpick the things that I really love mm-hmm. because 
it's like it, I wish it could be better. They're so close to yeah. being perfect, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely can see what you're saying. It, it take if it takes away from the emotional experience of the movie, then it doesn't hit that. What I would say Nolan does very well mm-hmm. in a lot of his right. films is is like I agree. Yeah, not only wrapping up the plot, but yeah, just hitting mm-hmm. you right in an emotional, you know, scene in the end, and then, yeah. Yeah, totally. Agree. I think it's a very, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Final thoughts. I wrote down this question. What is the tenet of tenet? Uh, <laughs> yeah. See what I did there? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and tenet just being um, uh, a tenet is a profession or a um, just something that an idea that you believe in and live by basically. Um, And um, I was kind of thinking about just from different things I was reading um, this idea of kind of what we were talking about earlier. Like there's this idea or there's this sense that they kind of already know they've won um, they already know they've accomplished what they're going to do, but they still have to do it. So what is the tenant they're living by that allows them to do that? And like, this isn't necessarily in the movie. A lot of my final, final thought takeaways aren't necessarily like drawing specifically from the movie, but just like me thinking about mm-hmm. it afterwards. And just the idea of like letting love guide you in those moments. Cause here's, here's the thing. I, this this is gonna this might be one of the cheesiest final thoughts I've ever had. But the thing is, like, in those moments where you're caught in this weird spot of like, how do I keep moving forward and not just getting caught up in my mind in life? Like, caught up, mm-hmm. you know, caught up in your mind of like what am I going to do with this situation? What am I going to do with this relationship where you feel stuck? Um, what am I going to do with, you know, this job that, you know, I'm caught up in the middle of like, and you can get caught up in these like loops of thought that are like a merry-go-round, the working title of, of this movie that <laughs> build up anxiety and, and build up anxiety and build up anxiety because you're like stuck in this moment. And I think something that like is maybe like uh, subconsciously in this movie is the idea of like in those moments. uh, And I guess like it can kind of draw back from interstellar, the idea of love being a force, but in those Mm -hmm. moments where you get stuck in those like anxious loops, love is something that can like drive you forward out of it. Um, and I think that's in this movie, but just not felt very well. Like I think that, and I think you kind of see it in the warmth that John David Washington brings to this character is like, he does seem to have this warmth of love and like care about him. Um, and, uh, I think you see it even better, even in Neil, like the, the warmth that he has towards John David Washington. And, um, it's, but yeah, it, it's basically just this idea that's rattling around in my mind that like love can push you out of 
those anxious loops that we can get stuck in um, that they could have easily gotten stuck in in this movie. Uh, but um, it pushes you out of it because love is active. Like love does things. Um, a, a very, I guess, vulgar way of putting it. But like love does, yeah. like love does things. Love is not like complacent or like love isn't happy with the way things are. Um, love isn't, um, love isn't neutral. Like love is a, like a force kind of, again, drawing that idea from interstellar Mm -hmm. that pushes you forward to be active, to do things. Um, I think what you're looking for is love as a verb. Sure. Yeah. DC talk. Uh, No, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Um, I was being funny, but no, you're making points. Yeah, yeah, just that act, that idea of it being this for this active force that pushes you forward, and so, um, you know, even when something is incomprehensible or illogical, like it can it can force you to like keep going, um, because of, you know, love. I mean, love is applied in very many different ways, whether it be mm-hmm. um, something that's religious and spiritual for you, or whether it's the love of the people in your life, whether it's the love even of yourself to accomplish something that you feel made to do, um, all those different ways that like love applies to our lives can like push you forward out of those anxious Mm -hmm. loops. Uh, And so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like, Neil could so easily get stuck there at the end of the movie in this like anxious loop of like, we've done this, but now I know I still have so much more to do. I still have so much more to do. I still have so much more ahead of me in my journey in this thing. Um, and get stuck in an anxious loop, but he's like, no, this is, this is the end of a beautiful friendship. I know what I've got to do. I'm going back in. Um, and it's his love of, the protagonist, I think that pushes him to keep moving forward in that plot, in that scheme that they have to, to accomplish what they're accomplishing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of my takeaway. Let love be a force in your life. Think on the things that you love and the people that you love when you get stuck in those mm-hmm. anxious loops to, to help push you forward, to take action, to move forward. Um, in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think a good, a really good example of that too. Um, in like very early, early in the film when the, like the charges are set Mm -hmm. in the opera. Yeah. And he, one of the, one of the CIA guys even says, it's not our mission. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, it's mine now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Or no, no, no. He, the, the CIA guy almost says, it's not our mission. And then like something like it's just the cheap seats. Yeah. And yeah. It's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's almost more. I, I'm not advocating, you know, that it would be okay if it was the rich seats, but it's like, that's almost like more of an incentive. Like, like why, why is that in the calculation? There's more people right, in the blast yeah. radius anyway. And, and he takes that on and says, well, it's my mission now. Yeah. I'm going to. And I mean, he does that. My, my confusion, this is a, a confusion point for me, and maybe I'm just misremembering, but when he goes to the Freeport, the painting is not there, or do they fail to get it? 
Yeah, that's another it, confusing it thing. Like he, it seems like he leaves Cat. They don't out. get the painting. I think. Right. I think but, well, Sator had taken it out. Sator already has it. But yeah, so it's not it's not the protagonist's fault. But he it is still do confusing. Wrong in the movie. Yeah. Even he doesn't do anything wrong. Yeah. But right. Sator just had a time high, almost uh, a time heist. Uh, yeah. Uh, temporal pincer maneuver ready to take the <laughs> to take the painting out yeah yeah i don't know uh yeah another very confusing aspect of the movie for me is like what is going on with this painting how does this blackmail work why doesn't she just be like screw it i'm leaving this evil dude but anyways yeah <laughs> well i think that's well in terms of like why she doesn't leave i think that's it's like her son. It's clear to me. Uh, it's clear, but it's also like, I don't know. Yeah. A little too convenient. I think it's just the power dynamic, too, of, I mean, not only is he obscenely rich, he's got time at his disposal mm-hmm. as well to do whatever he wants. And so it's like, even if she would successfully blackmail him, that wouldn't work because he would find a way around it. Yeah, you know? he could fix it but, in reverse. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think that just shows his control and his yeah. obsession with it, it. It's thematically relevant too because it's it's how he is viewing the world. Like, if I can't have you, no one can. He well, he says that to her about her. Yeah, because she even says, "Why don't you let me go?" But then he says that about the world too. Like, that's just his yeah. sick mindset about he controls everything in his vicinity and Mm -hmm. he's the protagonist, you know, in his own story. So, yeah. 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 And I guess like the whole love pushing you forward can apply to, to cat too, in a way like her Mm -hmm. love for her son, keeping her moving forward. It's not felt there very well. And I don't think it's written very well. Um, It's also very, very, short amount of time with her son too yeah. i mean yeah i mean you never really see him you see him in the distance but like or i think there's one there's one shot where like she says something to him like for a second closer up and he walks away with somebody mm-hmm. but like yeah he's not really a character or is yeah. or is he he's nailed. or is he <laughs> he's nailed the whole time we get tons of time with her <laughs> what would i what am i saying there's so many there's so many scenes with her son yeah yeah yeah, that, I guess that is one thing that could destroy the whole Neil theory. Well, maybe not. Maybe he doesn't want to reveal to her that he's he's her son, because that would like, yeah, be too. Just the same way he doesn't really reveal to JDW that he's his friend. I guess right, so like yeah. it would mess with time and stuff. But yeah, that is maybe one thing that could destroy the Max's Neil theory is like there doesn't seem to be any sort of indication with how he interacts with Debicki that he would be her son. <laughs> well, I seem to remember I seem to remember like him taking care of her when they bring her in with the inverted round. Hmm. There's a few things yeah. there's a few things Yeah, that you're right. Yeah. It doesn't scream taking care of mom, but you know. Yeah. If he's trying to remain secretive yeah yeah 
yeah, I'll go with that because I still like the the Nihilus Max theory. So I'll go with that <laughs> explanation. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good theory. <laughs> Where does this movie lie for you as far as a Nolan film amongst his other yeah, his um, filmography? Honestly, okay. So just to be just to be clear, the uh, I've not seen Insomnia, Memento, or Following. So okay. I've not seen his first three, but I've seen everything else. Yeah, um, you definitely should see Memento. Yeah, I yeah. definitely, I, I watched you talk about, I think it was in maybe like Dark Knight, you talked about really liking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I want to see, I want to see it. I want to see all of them. Yeah. <laughs> but um, for me, I feel like, I think I would put it above um, maybe Dark Knight Rises. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. It's lower for me honestly yeah but that is not saying anything about tenant that right, is just yeah. how much i love the rest of his movies yeah no i get um, that so i th- i think i would put it right above dark knight rises cool and then so like dark knight rises is last and then yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that sounds really bad but I, that's no just, yeah yeah no that's fair that's where it falls for me following is last for me but Dark Knight Rises is second to last, so okay. Um, but I, again, I like that's fo- also a great. Movie. I like following too. Um, yeah, I I don't have any of his movies rated on Letterbox less than three and a half stars. So Tenet, I was gonna say I don't. Tenet is three and a half stars would. for me. Um, okay, and I struggle with. I have it. Right now, I have it above following Dark Knight Rises and Insomnia, but I feel like. I could easily move it down to the bottom or it could Hmm. float around. It's just, I feel like maybe freshest on my mind is why maybe I put it up, up there um, above insomnia and dark Knight rises. But I feel like there insomnia feels like the least Nolan movie of all the, all of his movies, Mm -hmm. but it's still a really good movie. Um, And so like, I feel like if I was going to, it might be like tied right there with insomnia reason being because I think insomnia explores its themes a whole lot better than tenant does its themes, but also like tenant is such like an incredible spectacle that I'm like, I still really yeah. enjoy watching it. So it's like, I don't know, maybe there's a tie there. Uh, still mate, um, between tenant and insomnia, but yeah, it's definitely a low, like last tier Nolan movie for me. Um, mm. like all like Batman Begins, Dark Knight Rises, Memento, Inception, Prestige, Dunkirk, Interstellar. All I like all of those a lot more than Tenet. But yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of where it lies in my meaningless, arbitrary rating and ranking. <laughs> uh, have a lot of good movies. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the um, I will say next week. So I have not actually seen Oppenheimer yet. Um, And so for the podcast, I'm going to be skipping Oppenheimer for now, going straight to the epilogue, hopefully coming back around to Oppenheimer um, in the future. Um, But yeah, next week we're going to be doing, um, uh, I like to do a a bit of an epilogue to my series um, and just kind of talk about some, um, you know, some takeaways that I've had from going through of all of the director's 
films. I really enjoyed doing it for Wes Anderson mm-hmm. for that series. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'll, it'll be a solo episode and a little shorter, uh, a, a lot shorter than, uh, most of the episodes. And so, um, yeah, I'll be, I'll just kind of be sharing my, my thoughts and my takeaways overall from, from the series, um, next week okay. for the, the Christopher cool. Nolan epilogue. Um, and then I have some other things planned for the future just to be looking for. Uh, I'm planning on doing uh, maybe a solo episode um, talking about the Wes Anderson shorts that came out um, since uh, since I did that Wes Anderson series, kind of add those to it, um, uh, talking about all those shorts, which I really liked all of them. Um, and then uh, we'll see. I have some other ideas uh, uh, that I'm working on trying to get done um, before a a holiday Christmas break uh, for the podcast. But yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe next week I'll be able to announce what director I'll be covering uh, in the new year. Um, Hopefully I'll have that nailed down by then. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back with a little bit of movie news and a really fun movie draft. So uh, we will see you in just a minute. Hey everyone. Thank you for joining us on the establishing shot today. We hope you're enjoying the episode so far and we hope you will stick around for the segments we have coming up after this quick break. But uh, during this break, I wanted to tell you how you can get more involved with the establishing shot podcast. There are several ways you can do this. The main way you can do it is by going to establishingshotpod.com, our website where you can find all sorts of information like uh, episodes with the show notes on there, uh, information about our guests for each episode. You can find uh, reviews there. Uh, and, uh, there's a page where you can actually leave a review on the website. If you want to, you can see all the platforms where the podcast is available, like Apple, Spotify, all the major podcast platforms, and even uh, a link to our YouTube page where you can see a video version of the podcast. So, uh, please go to the website and, uh, the place I want to highlight there is our donate page, uh, which has information about our establishing shot family. This is a way that you can subscribe to the podcast to support all the efforts and uh, the just the stuff that goes into making this podcast good and making it better than it even is now. We have different tiers that you can subscribe to uh, starting at $5. And what this will do is you'll be able to support the podcast, help me make it better. And also at the same time, you'll get early and ad-free episodes. You'll get access to our Discord server where you can join in and just kind of talking about movies with a community that loves uh, film. And so we, we would love to have you in there. Uh, and then the higher up in the tiers you go, the more you get. Uh, even things like uh, chats and video chats that we'll do uh, every once in a while where we get to talk about uh, in more detail stuff that we're talking about on the podcast. So I hope you'll subscribe to that. Uh, Choose a tier that fits uh, your budget. And uh, I would love for you to support the podcast in that way. And uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, is where you can find us on social media. 
Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at the Eli Price, and you can also follow me on Letterbox. Letterbox is kind of like a social media for movie reviews, so you can read my reviews there, and you can find me there at just Eli Price. You know, no no spaces or anything. Uh, so I'm on Twitter and Letterbox. You can find the podcast on all the uh, social pa- platforms as well, such as Twitter at eShotPod, and then on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok at EstablishingShotPod. So make sure to follow us so you don't miss anything. If you have uh, any questions or comments about the episode or about the podcast, you can always email us at EstablishingShotPod at gmail.com. And the very last thing I want to do before you get back into the episode today is just ask you to please go to Spotify and Apple and leave some ratings and reviews. That really helps the visibility of the podcast and gets it in more people's podcast feeds. And so we hope you will do that for us and we would greatly appreciate it. So I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode and I will see you next time on the Establishing Shot podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed our conversation on Tenet, uh, Christopher Nolan's palindromic movie. Um, Yeah, if you're uh, you're coming from the other way in the podcast, I hope you enjoyed uh, the movie draft and the movie news. You know, I don't know which way you're coming through the podcast, but uh, (laughs) either way, hope you enjoyed what you've listened to so far. Um, I just wanted to run through for our movie news section, um, just some like recent and upcoming releases. Um, this, uh, by the time this episode releases, uh, the Marvels will have been out for a week. Um, I have, I don't know. I have no literally no excitement about the marvels <laughs> i don't know if you hmm. feel the same way but i've i mean i'm interested to see how they bridge is this i might be wrong is this the first no i guess wandavision was the first like tv series that went back into movies maybe i'm wrong on that but they're bridging uh miss marvel into the mcu oh, okay now. and um, i haven't seen that I can't think of the name. I don't know her superhero name. She gets powers at the end of WandaVision. She has like light powers. Yeah. She can change. Yeah. I don't. I know what you're talking about. She's also, she's also going to be first time in the MCU. Okay. I am interested to see how that goes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not like super hyped for it. Right. I'm kind of cautiously, I'm kind of cautiously excited, I guess. Okay. Yeah. I have like, I'll probably watch it because like I'm stuck in the Marvel trap that everyone else is. And Mm -hmm. which is like, you have to keep watching our movies now that you've watched so many (laughs) of them. And so, but I honestly like probably won't get around to seeing this in theaters. If I, if I had more time to go to theaters, I probably would. I just don't. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's fair. I'll probably end up streaming it at home. Um, yeah, the, the one on November 10th release that I'm actually excited for is the holdovers. 
um, mm. with uh, Paul Giamatti, um, directed by Alexander Payne, who has some really good movies. Um, Nebraska is one I remember really enjoying um, from 2013. Um, but he also uh, he he directed um, Downsizing, which didn't have that great reviews. Uh, but also election, the, the movie election with um, uh, Renee, uh, Reese Willerspoon, Matthew Broderick from 1999 is I've never seen it, but it's apparently a good movie. I don't know. I'm excited. It It's a fun concept. The holdovers. Do you know anything about it? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen I've seen the, the trailers. I yeah, don't know the teacher and the kids that stay back during Christmas break mm-hmm. sort of thing. I don't know. Maybe it'll make for a good holiday movie. Um, yeah, that, that's the one I'm excited about that weekend. The next weekend is um, the Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I've only ever seen the first Hunger Games movie, so I don't know. Mm. Have you seen all we of actually, them? Well, so I had only seen, I think I'd only seen the Hunger Games before this, but over the summer, uh, like Hunter's cousins were in town. Mm-hmm. And so we did like a couple of movie marathons and one of them was the hunger games. Mm-hmm. And so I saw all the hunger game movies. Um, and I mean, I like the hunger games. I don't know if I'm going to like this. Yeah. It seems kind of toss up for me. Yeah. So you're more excited about trolls band together. Oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm. I'm throwing down for that. Yeah. We're going. We're going to see uh, that in the concert movie version. As I've well. seen the I've seen the preview for that movie way more times than I want to see it. And yeah, one would be more times than I want to see it. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> next goal wins is also that weekend, which Taika Waititi. I like. Mm. I like a good. Taika Waititi comedy. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if this, I guess it'll be in theaters. I don't know. Movies like this, I always wonder, like, is it going to make it to theaters where I am? You know, I don't know. <laughs> um, what What's one? Uh, the Next Goal Wins, the Taika Waititi movie. Oh, oh, okay. It's just kind of like, maybe it'll end up actually showing here. Maybe yeah. it won't. It's just that sort of movie. Um, we're pretty fortunate here with like a couple of independent theaters. Yeah, yeah. So they play off the wall stuff, right? Um, and then we still have access to like AMC, right. so we have uh all the big, all the big stuff mm-hmm. too. So yeah, yep. No, just have the the grand theater here in Lafayette. Two of them. Mm. they're fine, yeah. Celebrity but... shut down. Yes, yeah, it did. And Broussard. Yep. Um, which it. You know, it was, had even less theaters than the Lafayette one, so it wasn't like it was showing things that the Lafayette oh. ones weren't. Um, yeah, but yeah, November twenty second, Napoleon. I'm ex- I actually am excited for that because for one, it's Ridley Scott. Like, mm-hmm. does Ridley Scott make bad movies? Not usually. Um, usually makes good movies, and then on top of that, you have Joaquin Phoenix. And yeah, Vanessa Kirby. I'm ex- I'm excited. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I don't know what to expect. I I saw Killers of the Flower Moon, and I used mm-hmm. um, the Napoleon trailer as the opportunity to uh, go 
uh, to the bathroom so that I could watch a three and a half hour movie yeah. and not <laughs> not have anything spoiled by watching a trailer. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I've not seen the trailer for Napoleon and don't plan to. I don't like watching trailers. So, you know, I I knew I think I knew you you avoided trailers from something we saw together. Yeah, yeah. A while ago. And um, I like pretty recently have started. I don't actively avoid them. Like I won't get up and leave necessarily. I only do for movies I really 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 am looking forward to. So like, yeah, Hunter Hunter avoids. Yeah. Um, but I don't. But I have growing frustration with yeah the amount of stuff that's revealed in movies. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Uh, trailers. Yeah, my my uh, brother in law Chase will just like not come into the theater until the previews are done. <laughs> like he'll just stand yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, all right, uh, you know, I, like I'm all for it. Wish is also that weekend, the new Disney movie, mm. which you know, I like Disney movies, so it's a it's a fun enough concept. You know, the other one that weekend is Dream Scenario. Have you heard of this movie? No, I don't think so. I don't know a whole lot about it. The the little thing says, a hapless family man finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. When this nighttime hmm. appearance, when his nighttime appearances take a nightmare's turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom. And this character is none other than Nicolas Cage. And that's really the reason that I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> That's even great. though the concept I, sounds really interesting in and of itself I, my interest is peaked now right but as soon as i say the words yeah. nicholas and cage put together yeah mm. this director did have a 2022 movie sick of myself which i never saw but did hear pretty decent things about but yeah dream scenario maybe we'll be mm. fun and then december 1st silent night the new, the new John, John Woo. Um, okay, so is this related to the Silent Violent Night from? No, I don't think so. Okay, Violent Christmas movies seem niche, but yeah. Coincidentally, did you see that one? I did. You see I did not Violent see Violent Night. <laughs> okay, it? well, it was it was pretty good action. Okay. And it was a pretty interesting take on Santa, I have to say. I <laughs> went in expecting just Christmas puns and Sure. Okay. You've been naughty. Gah, but it was it was it was pretty funny. It was pretty it was funny, pretty good action yeah. and interesting take on like a I don't want to give too much away, but just a different take on Santa, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I but I like I like I like Joel Kinnaman, so I'm excited for yeah. this. I don't know. John Woo is always fun. So I feel like it's a movie that I'll probably try to see, but not like expecting like this phenomenal cinematic mm. experience, but just like a good time. Yeah. I mean, when you make a movie like face off, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, that's, I think Joel Kinnaman for me is the draw though. That's fair. More so because yeah. I, I really liked him in The Killing, and then he was incredible in uh, For All Mankind. These are uh, TV shows. Okay. Just switching gears on that. But yeah, For All Mankind, he's a really good character as well. Yeah, yeah. That's what kind of got me on a Joel Kinman kick. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, I don't I don't know any of those, so 
it'll be probably fresh for me if I see this one. But yeah, I didn't have this on the list, but there's a couple of like big ones coming out December 8th to um, mm. Poor Things has a lot of buzz. Um, and also probably one of my most anticipated movies of the year. So excited that it's getting U.S. distribution and I'm going to try my hardest to see it in theaters is The Boy and the Heron. So excited. Oh, the new Miyazaki movie, I, December 8th. Yes. Supposed to get a release here in the US. Super excited. I saw some things about, yeah, I saw some things about the voice cast um, decisions that got me excited as well. I okay, don't, yeah. I haven't seen, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen anything really about the voice cast. I'm assuming they did like an uh, English dub. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm Which, excited about I, I that either way. I prefer subs, yeah. but um, same. Uh, but yeah, if if it's released in theaters and it's the dub version, I'll probably go see it because yeah, I love Miyazaki. Yeah, one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, that's that's really it. I just kind of wanted to run through a bunch of things because we really haven't had a lot of good movies to talk about in the movie news section, and I'm kind of mm. wrapping up this the series like i probably won't do movie news next week for the epilogue and so i just wanted to run through a bunch of them uh yeah hear which ones you were excited about too but yeah we can jump into the movie draft now are you ready Already? i haven't mentioned yeah, what we're so. doing we're doing a spy movie draft to go along with our tenant discussion um i didn't tell you the rule i usually do so if mm-hmm. you were planning on taking Tenet in the draft, that's fine. If that was on your list, because I didn't tell you ahead of time that we usually don't. Okay. Um, but if you were planning on it, then I'm totally cool with that. No worries. Um, I'm not going to ruin your draft by taking it away. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going to draft spy movies. And so uh, Andrew has informed me that he might have some stretches. So maybe we'll we'll get into some discussion <laughs> yes. on that. We'll see. Um, Eli reserves dealer's choice host permission to say that's not a spy movie. Move on. <laughs> no, no, I won't argue if, too hard. If you can have if you have if you have a halfway decent argument for why it is, then, you know, I'll probably allow it. But uh, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah. My first time guests always go first. And so okay. uh, you get the first pick in the spy movie draft. Uh, yeah. What are you going with? Are you going to start with I a stretch? Am... Or are you going? Oh, no. Okay. Uh, if I get first pick, I got my first pick locked yes, in. Yes, let's go. Uh, I'm going to go with Mission Impossible Fallout. Okay. The best Mission Impossible movie, for sure. <laughs> I had Dead Reckoning on. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. That was my second choice, but I'm not going to do two Mission Impossible. <laughs> Um. Yeah, Fallout is it, Fallout's the best Mission Impossible movie for sure. Uh, it's yeah. yeah, it's so good. Um. Yeah. Okay. It's a great movie. I don't even think we have to expound upon that. It's just it's a great movie. Um. I will say. Okay. I know what I'm gonna do. You've got. Okay. You've got your Mission Impossible movie, Mission Impossible Fallout. Okay. I'm going to go with my favorite Bond movie, and I'm going to go ahead and pick Skyfall. Um, okay. It's the best Bond movie to me. I love I think it's great. Great villain. 
great character development. Just all, just all around great. <laughs> great action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good, good pick. Yeah. Um, okay. Where, where are you going to go with your second pick? So um, my second pick, I'm glad I got this. I got two, the two top picks, I think. <laughs> um, although, I don't know. I, I've, I was conflicted about this when I asked, I asked Hunter what she thought. Um, Black Klansman. Okay. Yeah. I did not have that on my list, but you're saying it, and I'm like, yep, he's a spy. He's totally a spy. He's a spy, and also it's John, it's John, John David, David Washington. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, You've got the perfect tie-in. You've got to respect that. Yeah, okay. And now that you're saying that, I'm remembering another movie that I that I didn't throw in this list mm. that I meant to, um, that I'm not going to pick right now, but I might pick it later. We'll see. Um I'm adding it in just so I don't forget. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's a similar like movie that you might not think of as at first as being spy movie, but is. Um, okay, let's see. I so there's movies. There's a there's a couple movies that I really love that I think I'm going to stay away from not because they're not spy movies because they totally are like they are mm-hmm. totally are spy movies but i've also like they've been picked in drafts already <laughs> before oh, which okay. doesn't deter you you sh- if if you pick one of these great um and i'll be happy that you picked them because i do love them but uh but i've personally picked these movies in the past so i'm gonna get some variety okay. in in here and maybe that'll hurt me but i don't care getting some recommendations out there. I'm going to go with the conversation. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola's movie starring Gene Hackman, John Cazale. Have you ever seen the conversation? I have not. It's a really, really good movie. Like, okay. um, Just like incredibly crafted. um, Very like, very like anxiety driving sort of movie Mm -hmm. but yeah um yeah it's it's a great movie and gene hackman is so so good in it um yeah definitely highly recommend the conversation of course because i'm taking it here with my second pick okay um yeah conversation where are you going to go with your third pick so i'm going to go um, this is marginally questionable. I don't know. I mean, if Black Klansman fit, I feel like this definitely does. Um, Born Supremacy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, all of those. I think all okay. the Born movies count. He's a he is a spy. Yeah. Absolutely. Though the thing is, he is a former. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's a former spy. <laughs> yeah. Disavowed. Okay. Supremacy is the second one, right? Is yes. That the second one. Yeah. Born Supremacy. So is that your favorite Born movie? I'm assuming. I I think so. It it has been a bit since I've seen all of them in order. Yeah, it's been but a they long were movies, time for me. Yeah, they they were movies that um my dad and I actually liked. We watched we actually watched Born 
pretty, I, I didn't grow up watching James Bond. My, you know, it just, it didn't, it wasn't something my parents were super into and I never watched James Bond mm-hmm. until I was a little older. Um, but my dad liked yeah. Jason Bourne. So I saw Jason Bourne. Nice. Yeah. It's a very dad movie for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like my dad loves the Bourne movies too. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, I, I know I can picture the, it, the VHS, uh, three pack of the <laughs> movies. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure I got my dad like, uh, the DVD pack of it one time for like a Christmas or father's day or something mm-hmm. <laughs> of the born movies. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, born. Yeah. It's been so long since I've seen those is my thing. Um, okay. I'm gonna go with, um, man, it's so hard. Okay. I'm going to go with one that I actually just caught up with because usually I use the, these drafts as an excuse to catch up with a movie that I've wanted to see for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and go with the popularly called a bond movie before there were bond movies, North by Northwest, Alfred Hitchcock's hey. North by Northwest. It was really, really good, good really, really enjoyable movie. Um, yeah, kind of like a, it's, it's definitely more in the vein of like an experience. Like there's not really a whole lot intellectually going on. It's just a really, Mm. really fun, thrilling experience. Um, but yeah, have you seen it? So I, so I'm smiling and nodding because I wanted to say I have not seen it, but I think it says a lot about a film if I, maybe this is over over exaggerating, but I I I'm, I can see the the plane mm-hmm. uh, scene from it. Like I've seen that so many times yeah. in like either clips and stuff, and it's just it's kind of like a just a pervasive image that yeah has made its way. Even though I haven't seen the movie, I know that's from that movie. And yeah, 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 yeah. It's a really so fun movie. It, it has yeah. the the ending threw me off because it was very abrupt. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that was the end. Um, but, uh, and then like I was reading another person's review that I follow on Letterboxd and they like said something similar and I was like, okay, it wasn't just me. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I feel like you've got to get some Alfred Hitchcock in to the the spy movie draft. Um, so yeah. All right. Where are you going? This is your, your fourth pick. Yeah. So, uh, I know I said, what did we say? Uh, five or I think that, we said six. I'm doing six. six. Okay, six. Good. Okay, so that's. I was gonna say. I feel. I feel. Um, like I. You were gonna push back on some of these, but I. Well, I didn't know about you know black lantern. Yeah, yeah. But let's see about this one. I don't know. Um, it's not. It's it's. I like it a lot, and and I think it fits the genre. Uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier. Okay, A spy movie. Captain America: Winter Soldier. I don't know. I, I, explain explain how it's a spy movie because it's been a while since I've seen it. I do love Captain okay. America Winter Soldier. It is in my contentious category, just to give you to ease your conscience if you want to pull the trigger <laughs> at any point. Um it's more it fits more into the rogue category rogue spy. It's not really like they're not working for the CIA. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean intelligence is kind of a focal point. Like they're trying to figure out where the you know, 
organization is coming from. And that's when it's revealed that shield is part of their Hydra is part of shield. Right. No, I I'm getting my movies mixed up. I think, um, winter soldier is when they figure out, I was thinking of, uh, new world order or something. Mm. I was not thinking of winter soldier. Winter soldier is when they find out Bucky's still alive yeah. and he's following them around. And, um, he and, uh, Black Widow have to go on like a spy. It's it's the most espionage esque Marvel movie. Yeah. Okay. I would say I'll give it's... it to you. Okay. I'll give okay. it to you. <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't. It's been. I've seen it like more than once, but it's been a, it has been a while. So I just needed uh, you to ease yeah. my mind about allowing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, in a I guess in a way it is the most focus we get on other than her own movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was the most focus good. we get on black widow. <laughs> yeah. And it was after, you know, I was torn on that. Cause I, I wanted to, I wanted it to be more than it was, but yeah. Anyway, it was the most focus we got before that when she was still in the MCU officially, I guess sure. on her being a spy and her kind of teaching, you know, Captain America, Hey, you don't have to punch your way to everything. Just yeah. Subvert you know, attention and stuff. Like, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. I think it's finally time for me to, I don't know, for me to choose my mission impossible movie. Mm. <laughs> and I'm really actually like trying to, I've got to figure out which one I want to take. Um, because a lot of them are are there. There's a lot of good ones, you know. Um, let me. Look. I'm trying to find my like personal ranked list, and I don't know. So, so I've I've got to figure out if I want to go with my personal ranking or go for the what the people would choose. Because either way, I'm choosing a movie <laughs> that I like, you know. Uh, you know, I'll do this. I'll I'll choose the movie for the people, and then say my favorites that are maybe. I think I have two that I like. I'm gonna choose. I'm gonna just go with the original Mission Impossible, um, okay. which is a fantastic movie. Um, I think. Uh, and it like so many iconic shots and. Um, I don't know, just really, really very good. I personally like Mission Impossible 3 a little bit more. Um, and, uh, I like the emotional thread in, in Mission Impossible 3. And then I actually like Dead Reckoning Part 1 a, a little bit more than both of those. I thought it was really good. Mm. It's my second favorite I really, behind Fallout. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I'm yeah. just going to go. For the draft with the original Mission Impossible. I feel like it should be in the spy movies draft. I feel like it deserves that spot. Because without the first one, we wouldn't have had any other ones. (laughs) All right. This is your fifth pick. Oh, yeah. I was thinking in my head for some reason I had two more. Yeah. Um, Okay. So for five. We can go to seven if you want. 
you know what? I, I feel like I want to because I got a few other ones in here that I was expecting like to not get to or have more contention or more out overpicked already. <laughs> um, so I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Um, so for five, I want to go Argo. Okay. Argo. It's been a, a long time since I've seen Argo. I remember I really, really liked it when I, when I, when I first saw it. Yeah. So, yeah. I, it's been a while. I mean, I saw it when it first came out. I saw it in theaters. Mm-hmm. And then I think I've seen it once, at least once since then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was a little less like spy go on a mission. No. Yeah. Like around sure. all the world. It was more, you know, contained, but the fact that it's based on real things and mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for that. Like if it's based on a real, or it's at least loosely based on a real story. Yeah. I really like that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I get, I, I totally get that for sure. It's, um, and it, it's, from my, my memory, it's a really good movie. Um, I just haven't seen yeah. it in forever, so it's hard for me to... Um, yeah, I mean, you got shaggy-haired Ben Affleck running around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, okay. So this is my one, two, three, four, fifth pick. And, okay, I've got my Bond. I've got my... Which, I didn't mention this. I I like the Daniel Craig Bonds a lot, um, mm-hmm. but I don't really. I'm not a big Bond fan. I I've watched probably like five or six of the older Bond movies, kind of of different Bond eras, and just like none mm-hmm. of them really do a whole lot for me, honestly. Um, but yeah. I really like the Daniel Craig ones a whole lot. Um, just thought I'd throw that out there. I forgot to mention that earlier. Um, okay. Uh, you know, I could go with uh my own kind of maybe a bit of a stretch pick. Um, if we're go, it depends. Are we are we deciding right now? We're going to seven. I would. I'd be down. All right. Let's. I think it's let's good go call. to seven. Um, because okay. that's gonna depend on what I'm what I'm willing to take. Um yeah, I'm gonna go with um yeah, I'll go ahead and go with a pick that might be a stretch and go with Hell Caesar, the Coen Brothers movie. Mm. Um Okay. It's um I feel like it's one that I wanna rewatch because I feel like I would enjoy it more than I did the first time, which I did enjoy it the first time. But it's got um it's hard to explain why it's a spy movie because it's not on mm-hmm. on the surface. But if you talk, if you explain it too much, you're kind of spoiling things that are like yeah, reveals. Okay. But um, but yeah, I mean, Clooney is this uh, Hollywood star, Baird Whitlock, that goes missing mysteriously from the set, um, and there ends up being some there ends up being some like spy stuff going on. I'll just leave it mm-hmm. at that. Um, okay. Have you not seen hell Caesar? I have not. No. I feel bad. I haven't seen, I'll have to go watch your, uh, your draft. Okay. Yeah. Uh, hell Caesar is good. It's, it's not like top tier Cohen's, but it's, it's still a Cohen's movie. 
So still very good. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to diversify my list, you know. We'll see. It's hard to vi- diversify a spy list. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, all right. Well, two I'll, more picks. I'll also attempt to diversify a little bit. Let's do it. And I don't think this is a stretch, but it might be an odd choice. Um, but it's also pretty nostalgic because I watched this a lot growing up. Um, the Rescuers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it fits. That's fun. It, it, they're not working for the CIA. They're working for like the yeah the rat CIA protects. <laughs> Yeah, the well, the yeah, the protects uh, adopted kids. Oh yeah, yeah. What, what is it? There's a name for it. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it in a long enough time. Yeah, but yeah. And it's like I, I really like that movie. Yeah. As a, as a as a kid, and I think it's got a soft spot for me, and it feels like a spy movie. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't do a whole. I usually try to see if there's a good animated movie. I'll, I think the Rescuers is fine. It's not my favorite. Um, but it's definitely definitely fits in the category. But I didn't, I forgot to like really mm-hmm. look and see if there were some animated movies that would fit into the spy category because I like to try to pick an animated movie when I can. But I did not. Um, yeah, I didn't do that research, so I probably won't be picking one. Unfortunately, there's that movie Spies in Disguise, but I haven't seen that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh that's I, I was giving her a hard time earlier and she said uh oh that's the that's the bird movie and i was like no that's uh red sparrow and she's like no that, that's that's not that's uh the jennifer lawrence movie and i was like no that's the hunger games <laughs> so yeah i was just giving her a hard time but yeah spies in disguise yeah that's tom holland and who's the uh other lead i don't I can't remember know. i've never seen it and i don't i don't really know i want to say like uh, Will Smith, yeah, okay. yeah, Will Smith is a gotcha, yeah, okay, cool, yeah, yeah, um, hmm, okay, you know what? I saw this movie close to when it came out, uh, okay. really enjoyed it, haven't seen it since, so it's hard for me to say a definitive, like great movie but i do remember really enjoying it um i apparently rated it four stars out of five back when i saw it in 2015 okay. and i'm gonna go with mm-hmm. steven spielberg's bridge of spies i think it's a really good movie okay. um tom hanks mark rylance uh it's it's sort of based on a real story i guess similar to argo mm. um okay. of like a cold war Soviet uh Soviet captures a US pilot sort of thing. They're they send a CIA operative. They're like there's you know, I mean it's it's yeah. in the title. There's there's a spy, then there's yeah, a bridge. It's hard to argue with that, right? <laughs> yeah. There's you know, there's the wall. Um there in Berlin sort of thing going on. Um mm-hmm. people getting caught on the wrong side of the wall, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's a good movie. Um Spielberg, good uh, I guess twenty teens Spielberg movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do need to rewatch it. I haven't seen it in a long since then. So, but yeah, this is this your last pick? Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six. This is my last Ooh. pick. Um, pressure. 
So I have more left than I was anticipating. Good. Honor, <laughs> honorable mentions. Yeah. Um, you can mention them honorably after you make your pick. Ooh. <laughs> trying to decide which way to go with this. Um, this might decide your, I have a fun your draft. One. I, I have a fun one and I have a serious one. Mm. Um, you know, I think I'm going to go fun. I think I'm going to go fun. Do it. Um, I'm feeling good about it. So, uh, I'm going to stay true to Nick Cage and pick the unbearable weight of massive talent. Oh, man, that's that's a really good choice. I wasn't even thinking about really? that being a spy movie. I thought it was a really yeah, fun movie. Uh, it was fun. I Well, not only is Nick Cage growing on me, I don't know. I just, I find him fun. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like Pedro Pascal as well. So that was just a fun, that was just yeah. a fun experience. Oh, yeah. yeah, I, um, yeah, and it graced us with the Paddington 2 joke. Um, just great. Um, mm-hmm. Which is a really actually, Wonderful movie. Um, But yeah, uh, Nicolas Cage, I did um, actually, I did what I call it a cage a thon uh, leaning up to Mm. uh, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And I was basically just kind of filling in a lot of Nick Cage blind spots. I I think I ended up watching like 11 Nick Cage movies leading up to the the Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, (laughs) which was a wonderful experience. I highly recommend. Mm. I do have a book yeah. that I haven't haven't read yet called Age of Cage. Um and it's like mm. an exploration of like different eras of movies through Nick Cage's career. Uh which I'm really excited to eventually read it. I just haven't gotten around yeah. to it yet. Um yeah, great pick. I I didn't even think about that. But yeah. Uh and it really it is a fun pick. Uh, I thought you were going to go a different direction when you said fun, but oh, okay. But maybe we'll we'll say in honorable mentions. Um, I'm not gonna, I guess, go a fun route. Um, I could go with a movie that I haven't seen since I was a kid, uh, but I'm not going to. I'm gonna go with the one you reminded me of with your Black Klansman pick, and I'm gonna pick Judas and the Black Messiah. Have you seen that? Ooh, yes. Oh, that was a good. That's a good. Such pick. a good movie. So Ooh. freaking good. And um, and of course now I get to uh, fawn on Lakeith Stanfield, who I think is an incredible actor. Daniel Kaluuya is a phenomenal actor too, and he gets a lot of credit mm. for his portrayal of Fred Hampton in this movie. But I think Lakeith Stanfield as Bill O'Neill in this movie is actually like sneakily phenomenal acting um i'm a Mm. sucker for actors that are acting while they're acting um which is what stanfield's doing here because he's kind of like infiltrating you know the black panthers and fred hampton's crew Uh uh and so he's acting as while he's being an actor and acting uh i'm just i'm a sucker for that and i think his it's like um (laughs) it's like the Amadeus style of biopic where you view um, someone who would be considered the protagonist through the antagonist's perspective, um, which okay. if you've never seen Amadeus, that's, that's what it is. It's, 
it's viewed through the perspective yeah, of I've the uh, composer that didn't make it big because Mozart came along, mm. um, whose name is slipping my mind in the moment, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that's that's what this one is kind of doing. And I think that's probably like, okay. to me, one of the most, if not the most interesting way to do a biopic sort of film um, is yeah. that perspective. But yeah, Judas and the Black Messiah, phenomenal, really great movie. Yes, very good pick. Um, but yeah, and that's that's a wrap on the draft. Uh, do, what were your honorable yeah. mentions? Uh, so I had these on the list, but I just went. I just didn't feel it. Um, Snowden was my serious pick. Okay, yeah, I've never so seen it. Have, but yeah, yeah, I I saw it when it came out, and I mean. I don't remember being blown away. It it was it went the very literal route. It was very like retell the story and I mean so did Argo, but it just Argo was more fun, yeah. I think. I don't know. Uh Eagle Eye, which yeah, I think I remember that, that movie. Yeah. I remember liking it. I don't really remember it's Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. So I just my mind just goes, it's Transformers. <laughs> which I know. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about actor imprinting. <laughs> um the imitation game. Yeah, a good, that would have been a really good pick. I I, I thought the imitation yeah. game was really well made. Yeah, I had it on my um, list too. But yeah, I had a contentious pick, which I felt like was a little too unfair to do. So no, yeah, the Matrix because it feels like a spy movie. I, they're they're acting like spies and mm. they're being. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know if I would have allowed the Matrix. <laughs> okay, well then I'm glad I left it out because it's yeah that that's just a little too. It's it's not that it even yeah arguably is unfair. It's I know just like where you're such a good from, movie yeah. to list. Yeah, and uh, the Penguins of Madagascar, <laughs> of course, right? Yeah, you gotta get you gotta mention the Penguins. <laughs> yes, three, two, yeah, one, Penguins. Smile and wave. What were your uh, yeah, so so the two that I mentioned that, that I was not going to pick that definitely are spy movies um, and are beloved by a lot of people. The the Departed um, is definitely a spy movie. Um, and Inglorious Bastards, another movie that's definitely oh. for sure a spy movie. Yeah. I, I yeah. Think. Um, so I didn't pick those two. I've picked them in past drafts. Um, so, yeah. I'm glad you didn't pick them because I feel like they might have tipped the scales if one of us would have picked the, one of those. Yeah. The, a lot of people love those two movies. Um, I feel like we have a pretty good. Uh, yeah, we do. Pretty good lineup. Yeah. As far as Bond goes, because I mean, any of the Daniel Craig's, maybe not Quantum of Solace, but Casino Royale. Very good. Um, yeah. I had um, the Manchurian Candidate. Have you ever seen that? No. Um, it's a 1962 movie. It's about um, it's like uh, at the end of the Korean War, there's these guys that are like taken by Russians and brainwashed, basically, and they become like these kind of like sleeper cells. And so like there's this. Yeah, there's. Yeah, one of them is like. Activated or something. It's a really interesting movie. Um, mm. uh and obviously deals with kind of like spies and whatnot, but yeah, um, really interesting. I, 
I probably liked it a little less than consensus. It has a 4.0 on Letterboxd, which is a really high score, but um, I liked it a little less than that, but not much. Um, a Most Wanted Man, which I did not pick because I don't really remember a whole lot about the movie. I just remember I liked it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Willem Dafoe, Rachel McAdams, it's hard to go wrong with that cast. <laughs> um, a couple of other uh, Hitchcock, uh, The Lady Vanishes is very good. Um, and also The 39 Steps, very good. Um, hmm. Both uh, 30s Hitchcock movies. Um, both are really good. I really enjoy both of those. Zero Dark Thirty, I guess, is technically kind of a spy movie um yeah in a way but i yeah it's a, it's like one of those that's like a stretch but not really a stretch but sort of mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> um yeah, i could i could see that there i did have a few fun ones on my list um i think uh the kingsman secret service movie was yeah was a fun one not a great movie but pretty fun uh mr and mrs smith i feel similar like not mm. a phenomenal movie, but pretty fun. Um, and then, yeah. obviously, like Austin Powers, any of the Austin Powers movies mm. would have fit um, into this category. I feel like I haven't seen, I've maybe seen the original, but I haven't, I don't know that I've seen any of the other ones. And then the one from my, my childhood, uh, Spy Kids. I mean, come on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was contemplating. Uh, I I don't I feel like I would have gotten a lot of votes if I would have picked Spy Kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like that was like one of the ones where it's like it's in the title, it's super obvious. I feel like everyone's seen it. But yeah. Yeah. But um but it's good to get in the honorable mentions. But yeah, I'll um I'll read out our final draft results. Andrew ended up with Mission Impossible Fallout, Black Klansman, The Born Supremacy. Captain America, Winter Soldier, Argo, The Rescuers, and The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, I ended up with Skyfall, The Conversation, North by Northwest, Mission Impossible, Hell Caesar, Bridge of Spies, and Judas and the Black Messiah. Two really good lists. I think you have some popular picks, though, that might might get you the win there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel people like people love a, Fallout. Really good. People love the Bourne yeah. movies. You've got the Mar- that you've was got the my... Marvel movie. Um, yeah, yeah. You might. I don't know. You might eke this one out. We'll we'll have to see. Fallout was my number one pick. Well, if you'd gone first, what, what, what would you have? Picked? I probably would have picked Fallout to be honest, because <laughs> the the Departed. That's what I was like. Thinking. I mean, you can see my list. The Departed and uh, Inglorious Bastards are at the top, and then Fallout's right after, and then Skyfall. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thank you for the the courtesy <laughs> of going. <laughs> Let me go first. <laughs> yeah. No problem. Of course, it's my uh, pleasure and honor. Uh. Yeah. Did you happen to think of a recommendation of the week to to help close us out here? Um, well, I'm, I'm really, I'm really struggling to think I was looking at, I feel like I haven't seen a whole lot of, um, movies recently, honestly, um, I can recommend whatever, but 
doesn't well, have to be. Yeah, yeah, you did say that earlier. Um, <clears throat> I'm still, I'm still, I still have Joel Kinnaman on the brain, I guess. Um, and I really would suggest for all mankind because it's it's probably harder to access, I guess, because it's on Apple TV. And I know mm. that's kind of a, you know, if you, you either have it or you don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like a alternate history space movie mm. where the opening shot of the first episode is the Russians get to the moon first. Gotcha. And so the space race continues and we just keep going and going yeah. in space and the technology advances quicker. And then each new decade is like each season is a, a decade advanced, gotcha. basically. And so there's like real world, real history tie-ins and space, which is always, always a fun. I always like space movies, yeah. space TV shows. So I probably recommend that even though it's, it's been out for a while. Um, and I don't know how the writer strikes and, you know, stuff affected the new the new season coming out. Gotcha. I think it was supposed to come out soon. Gotcha. Yeah. There's a couple seasons out already, so it's a huh. good 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 movie. Good I mean good T V show. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um yeah, definitely we'll put it on the list. I don't watch a lot of T V shows to be honest. Um yeah. I watch mostly just movies. Um but yeah, every once in a while I'll get in the mood and watch through a show. So yeah, I'll have to Add it to the list. Uh, my recommendation of the week is kind of a just a little fun thing that um, I do just like it's kind of one of those like in between little games to play. Um, and but there's like, you know, a lot of people know Wordle, but there's also like a bunch of like fun little film related games like that, like daily games. Mm. Um, the two that I like the most, um, are framed. One of them is called framed. Um, and that one I actually send, um, back and forth with my family. Like we all send what, like our frame scores every day. And it's kind of like a fun little thing that, mm. that we do with our family. And, um, yeah, that one's fun. It's basically just shows you, a you get six, frames from a movie one at a time and you you know you can guess with each frame and so you know hopefully it's it's fun you try to guess the movie frame by frame you know Uh and a lot of times it'll start off with like more obscure frames from the movie and then get to more like noticeable ones as you go along um that one's fun the other one that i actually recently started doing um just you know Again, it's just kind of like, oh, I'm sitting here waiting for this. You know, uh, oh, I'll pull this up and play this game. It's called Movie Grid. And so it's basically like there's mm. a like a X and Y axis. So there's six, there's no nine, nine squares. And it's basically like it'll have like this column is one word titles or you can ignore the word the. And then this this will have like, you know, some actors names or maybe a couple of actors mm. and a director or it'll say movies between 2000 and 2015 um, in this column. And similar, it'll have directors or actors or whatever. And so you have to try to you have nine guesses, nine total guesses to try to fill as many of the nine squares as you can. So it's it's huh. fun. It's a fun little movie grid game, but 
I'll try yeah. to um I'll try to remember to uh link those in the episode description. Uh so if you want to if you don't want to have to search those uh we'll th- I'll throw them in there so that you can just go down to the description and find them the links to them there. But yeah, that's that's my recommendation. Yeah, Frame is a lot of fun. Yeah, Frame is Frame is a lot of fun. Frame is fun. There's um there's a few there's others. One that, uh, Movie doll, poster doll. Well, yeah, post turtle is crazy, and Hunter is very good. Like <laughs> she gets it first, first tick every time. It's her color recognition is yeah. just ridiculous. I and t- to connect it, super pixelated movie picture, yeah. movie poster. If you don't know what post turtle is, it pixelates the movie poster uh-huh. to crazy, like basically four pixels almost, and then it slowly gets more clear. Yep. and she gets it. Uh, That's impressive. She gets it almost. Yeah. Every time the first frame. Yeah. I would say my average is probably like over 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are, those are really fun. And it's, it's, it's fun too. If you have like some people that you like, you know, it has where you can share, you know, copy and paste how well you did. It's, mm-hmm. it's fun. Yeah. That's it's nice. It's fun to like send it, you know, around and to some other friends that love movies. But yeah, um, yeah, I'll link those. But yeah, other than that, we're we're pretty much done. Andrew, did you want to share maybe where people can follow you? Um, uh, social media, letterboxed, anything like that? Yeah, well, I'll yeah, I'll for sure link your letterboxed, and you can follow Andrew there. Um, his wife Hunter is on there too, and she's always I always I always like to see what y'all have to say about about the movies. You, I'm not going to link Hunter's letterboxed, uh, but you know it's all it's one of those things. Like, well, if you go and see who follows Andrew, you can probably find. <laughs> um, but yeah, Letterbox is is a fun fun place to be. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, that's all we have for this episode. I uh, am looking forward to the Christopher Nolan epilogue next week. And I hope to see you then. But I have been Eli Price for Andrew Fossier. You have been listening to The Establishing Shot. See you next time. Thank you so much for joining us on The Establishing Shot today. We hope you enjoyed the episode and got a lot out of it. Make sure before you go to like and subscribe uh, on all your podcast platforms and especially on Spotify and Apple. If you could leave a rating and review, that would greatly help the visibility of the podcast and I would greatly appreciate it. Again, if you go to establishingshotpod.com, you can find out all you need to know about the show, where to find us on the social media platforms, where to find us podcast wise, YouTube, Uh, And you can even leave a voicemail there on the website on the right side of your screen. So click that if you want to give a comment or ask a question about the show. Uh, Just feel free to leave a voicemail. We'd be happy to feature that on the show. And also, if you just want to email rather than leave a voicemail, you can email us at establishingshotpod at gmail.com. And we would be happy to answer your question there or feature a question or comment on the show if it pertains to uh, the episodes. So please do that. And we would love for you to join the Establishing Shot family. You can, again, find where to do that 
on the donate page at establishingshoppod.com. We hope you have a great week and we look forward to seeing you again next time. We were happy here for a little while. But look, I figure it this way. Better to be king for a night than schmuck for a lifetime.